This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that nearly had several heart attacks watching Chelsea beat the Arsenal. Well, Sarri promised us fun, and he promised us attacking on-the-front-foot football. What we didn't expect was the minute-by-minute heart-stopping moments during a 90-minute game of football. Having ultimately deservedly dispatched the Arsenal 3-2, most of the people I bumped into on my way out of the stadium were absolutely exhausted by the bonkers football match they had just seen. After the match, Sarri was disappointed that Chelsea could not make the pressing game he advocates last as long as 90 minutes. At this rate, I wonder whether I'll make the end of the next game, let alone the season. The Chelsea fancast 430 bonkers. There can be no other title. It's a very good descriptor. Uh, And a very good descriptor or people who like to describe things are with me tonight. And of course they are, first and foremost, the the new director of the Chidge and Jonathan... Um, actually, do you know what, mate? Uh, you know those little video, that video you did. I think that when we edit it next time, you need to put the Laurel and Hardy music as a sound bed under it because it, I think it looked a bit Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> it did, and also uh, Twitter managed to edit it for me by missing out the first fifteen seconds when I put it up, so I had to re repost it. But by then, the damage was done. I think everybody had seen it. Well, I was pleased because I think some people yeah. had no idea how either of us looked, actually. I think no. they were taken aback. I, 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 I think they thought we were we were completely different versions. I have to be honest, mate. I'm astonished by the amount of love that it seems to have generated. And I think that's either because people genuinely love us or they're just delighted that we didn't shout down at them in, a, in profile form in very angry <laughs> 127s on why we hate Chelsea Football Club. Uh, I, I, I really, yes, I really don't know. Well, they, but, took uh, pit, they took pity on us, Chidge. I, I, I hope the phone was. I hope the phone was on top of a car. On top of a car. Well, that then moved. Yeah. It was. It was in my steady hand. I, I quite. 
taken aback by my ability to look like a like a decent camera just holding it from my very short stubby arms so yeah well we we, we may pursue these uh it was weird weirdly some people commented that i didn't seem drunk which in fact was true and others thought i was very drunk so clearly i can't win either way but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a few we'll do a few and i will be drunk i promise but there you go anyway uh, it was great fun and we'll do it again uh, now you, you've already heard from uh, another one of our wonderful uh, guests the lovely clayton beerman how are you mate hello i'm very well i'm very well sorry i didn't catch up with you on saturday uh but obviously saw you a couple of weeks ago which was very very nice um Glad to be here first this season, and I'm very glad to be in the company of our next guest because hopefully he'll be able to explain to me what the hell went on on Saturday because I don't know. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, how the old uh, kind of uh, serendipity of the Chelsea fan cast works that uh, we have um, this wonderful person who uh, knows more about tactics and Sarri ball, no doubt, than <laughs> I, 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 have pa- I have patience to explore. So, uh, I mean, how wonderful that we've got Joe Tweedy on the show tonight. Tell us how it all works. Yeah. Good evening, Chidge. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I think right, at, at points on Saturday, even that was slightly behind even my comprehension. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but Joe, you've got a very valid excuse because you must have been absolutely munted having been at a, a, Romani- a Romanian <coughs> wedding for most of the day. It kind of made it a bit better. I think like my nerves were slightly down, but my kind of excitement levels were slightly up. So it was almost like the perfect kind of storm <laughs> of watching the game. But yeah, no, I was uh, very much uh, about probably 15 gin and tonics in at that point. And uh, yeah, slightly over-celebrated the winner in front of about 300 Romanian people. So yeah, but I've, I've made friends and I've, I've kind of now championed the Dan Petrescu Romanian London slash Copenhagen supporters branch. So yeah, it's all, all, all's well that ends well. Excellent stuff. Right, now, uh, we've got lots and lots and lots on the show tonight. A little bit of a change up in the running order, as you'll hear in a minute. But uh, uh, first up, we're going to be discussing Chelsea's bonkers defeat of Arsenal. We're going to relive the excitement, if that's at all possible. Probably not, I would say. Uh, But we're also going to wonder whether it would have been as much fun. I mean, there's no doubt it was fun on Saturday. But I kind of wondered, because I'm a miserable old cynical git... But I wondered how much fun it would have been had we lost that match, which was eminently possible, let's be honest. Uh, in part two, we're going to ask, uh, can Chelsea keep up the pressing for 90 minutes? Sarri clearly thinks we can't at the moment. Uh, are there defensive uh, frailties a concern? And should Kante resume the role he is so good at, i.e. kind of swap round with Jorginho? A lot of, lot of talk about that. Uh, and of course, are we all getting a bit carried away with it all after just two matches? I told you I'm a miserable old git. I'm afraid this is what you get when you have a podcast done by people in their 50s, uh, apart from Joe. Uh, anyway, in part three, uh, this is the change up in the running order. We've got lots of emails for Jonathan to read out. Uh, on the captaincy, the lowdown on Kovacic from a Croatian perspective. So a young man who originates from Croatia has tell us all about this this fine young player. And uh, we've got an email about how a young man from Mumbai found Chelsea and uh, another one on what are the roots of the match-going fools versus the armchair warriors Twitter wars between Chelsea fans. Something that we, we promised to talk about a few weeks ago but ran out of time and we've now got an email that kind of directly answers the question so i think that's that's great and as we're all very much involved with twitter it's it's a good thing to talk to talk about uh and in part four uh we've got a roundup of all the chelsea supporters news and if we have time we very rarely do but if we have time we will do more 
questions and answers from the uh, Mixler live audience, also known as the Chelsea Fancast Confessional, because we enjoyed it last week. Uh, so that's why I've kind of changed things around a bit to kind of hopefully give us a bit more time. Now, uh, having men- mentioned Mixler, don't forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. Uh, you can also tweet at Chelsea Fancast during the show to tell us what you think about the games and anything else on Chelsea. And that is not uh, a lion in the background being castrated. It's not even a pirate doing a shit version of a roar. That is, in fact, Jonathan Kidd extending his live chipping in for as long as he can. Now, talking about Mixler people, if she don't come as asked the question, which is very important, um, is Jonathan on acid again? I don't know. Is Jonathan on acid again? <laughs> uh, not when I last looked. No, I haven't been able to find any. Uh, Peyote, mm. no. Um, marijuana, no. no. None of those drugs. So no, no. I'm just. Okay. I'm just high on life, darling. Well, there you go. Heard it from the horse's mouth, and I have it confirmed by the lovely peeps in Mixler that we are all sounding good. Uh, Byron, CFC, Bobu's, Ravinda, Blue, Daniel Cabral. The wonderful Crystal Balls, Chris Bird himself, if she don't come, Joe the Blue, loads of you in there. I saw Alan May score, Hazardous 17, Andy Silverman, always lovely to see him in the house. Hope you're well, Andy. Right, after this short break, we'll be talking football. Right, um, blimey, blimey, blimey. Where where do you start with with that with that what we witnessed on Saturday? I mean, there's no absolutely no doubt it was frenetic, exciting, exhausting. As I said, the first thirty minutes, I thought we witnessed some completely and utterly scintillating football. Uh, my, I, I left the, the I left the game thinking, and remember, you know, I was quite sober because uh, you know I had the uh, the Supporters Trust AGM the next day, so I paddled quite light beforehand. Um, and I kind of left there thinking that, you know, Sarri will give us a heart attack if the smoking doesn't get him first. Um, but uh, here's the thing. I mean, jo- Jonathan, you know, you and I talked about this, didn't we, uh, straight after the game because we had a nice little chat. It, it was very exciting and it was, it, it, there was a certain an element of fun there, but there was also an element of horror. Arsenal could have scored a few goals, and to, to say the least, you know, so... Am I being churlish here, or should I, should I just enjoy the moment, or what? Well, I think there was a great deal of excitement, wasn't there, because it was the first game of the season, and because we knew there was going to be something different, because we'd, we'd watched the Huddersfield game. Um, uh, and after the toxicity, I keep going using that word all the time, um, of, the, uh, of the second half of, uh, of Conte's uh, um, involvement with the club, um, it was lovely to see something where we, where all, we all went there thinking... Uh, let's be positive about this. This is going to be um, this is going to be much better. He's uh, um, uh, he's clearly not um, um, as uh, polar as as Conte, and uh, and he's got some interesting I- attacking ideas, which 
um, having descended into the gloom of the Etihad performance last year and the strange performances against Norwich and Arsenal and all of that, it was uh, we were we we were look, we're looking for something that's different. And for the first thirty minutes, we got it, and it works brilliantly that that the pressing game. But it's unbelievably knackering, clearly. Because after 30 minutes, I mean, I know that they before we scored the second, we'd, we'd almost given the, the goal away. But Aubameyang, luckily, was incapable of, uh, of finding the net. But um, from then on, the amount of energy involved and the uh, um, just the brilliance of the uh, of the press and the attack was was we it made us we were they didn't have a clue, Arsenal, what to do. But they, it, it, after 30 minutes, I think we just seemed to get knackered. And and they, it was like watching a group of schoolboys with Arsenal who suddenly realised, oh, I think we could score lots of goals now if we just go down the other end. And they got really enthused, and we just looked leggy and um, and completely under the cosh. So yes, it was it was wonderfully entertaining to see that. But um, uh, I just kept thinking, well, you know, even if they score four, I reckon we'll score five or six because that's what it looked like. I, I, you know, my initial initial. Um, uh, I think I said five three last week on the uh, on the fan cast, and I said four one on Friday because I knew there'd be masses of goals just because both both teams appear to play vaguely the same way. Um, uh, um, what's we playing? We're playing we're playing uh, um, four three three, aren't we? And I think they play a, a kind of variation on that. Are they four four two? Joe would 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 fill us in on this, but they're, they're not playing. Um, uh, they're not defensive. And then on the break, they're, they're pressing all the time as well. Um, and incidentally, just a minor point to bring up that the number of times that the ball was kicked out to the fullback on both sides and it didn't make it out of the penalty area. So then had to go back and had to be retaken again because the player just put their foot in. Now, when I refereed, um, I was told that that was a bookable offense because it was, um, uh, it was ungentlemanly conduct, but clearly that law seems to have been forgotten because it now seems to be something. If you're being closed down after the goal kick has been taken, um, and you just decide, oh, I don't want to be involved in this because I'm going to be tackled, you just stop the ball from leaving the penalty area. So you are gaining an advantage, but that's just something I'm, I digress with. But um, because because they were doing exactly the same thing, and we were we we were pressing them all the time. But yeah, it's it's. There's a madness involved with it. And my fear also is that even if he does get us to play like that for 90 minutes, that I think what happened to Napoli was that by December they were completely exhausted. So perhaps our squad depth will be absolutely vital because we just bring masses of players in when everybody's completely exhausted. But uh, no, I think it's, it's, it's early days still, but it's, it's bloody exciting. I mean, I'd like to ultimately get on to um, how similar it is to... Uh, to AVB, but uh, how completely, oh, ultimately no, no, different no, it is at the same don't, time. Don't, don't do that. I'm don't, sorry don't, to have mentioned mention him. That. Yes, don't yes. mention that. But but yeah, I no, told I, you I, I'm, I, it was wonderful. Sorry, say yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say. I mean, don't mention AVB because I was already suffering from a heart attack. But uh, I mean, Clay, Clayton, like us, was there. Um, you know, it was great fun, wasn't it, Clayton? But, I mean, am I being a bit of a miserable old curmudgeon by saying would we have felt quite the same euphoria had we lost that match? No, I think you're being completely honest and um, realistic. I think had we come out of there and lost it, as, as much as we are embracing a new era, yeah, another one, um, 
had we lost, <laughs> I think we would have been a bit hacked off because the simple thing is that after 30 minutes, they were dead and buried. And I turned around to my mate at the time and I said, one more goal before half time and this is finished. Uh, what I didn't expect was, was basically you, you mentioned AVB and whilst it wasn't the same sort of destruction that happened on that, that horrible afternoon, it was similar in terms of the fact that we were basically completely overrun. Whereas JT got stranded on the halfway line and everybody th every, everything went behind him. What was happening this time was that they were exploiting the space behind uh, Marcus Alonso um, and pulling the ball back, which is basically seems to have gone out of fashion. You normally get the ball whizzing across the area rather than pulling it back to the 18-yard line. Um, and, and they played very well. And I don't... I know what Jonathan's saying, but I don't actually think it was um, a lack of stamina. I think it would, they, they were just basically... They just completely lost their shape. Nobody seemed to know what they were doing. Um, and it was like we'd read the book about the attacking bit, uh, but we'd skip the chapter about the defending bit. <laughs> I think one mm. of the things, and we'll probably come on to it, um, is the fact that this pressing game, part of what you need with this pressing game is you need your forwards pressing as well as your midfielders and your defence. And I think that's going to take the time because I don't actually think, certainly um, William and Morata were not pressing. Now, I'm not criticising them because it's going to take, you know, it's going to take time to bed in. But I think that was part of the reason why it all just went so wrong because they seem to have so much time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was very enjoyable, obviously because we won. Um, there wasn't the normal elation of winning. I think, as as you said, it was more like exhausted relief when we came out the ground. Um, <laughs> I mean, when when we when we scored, I had absolutely no confidence at all that we could hang on for the fifteen odd minutes that it was going to be when we were leading because it was that sort of game. Um, but so many good things. I mean, obviously lots of bad things, but so many good things. But we'll come on to that. Well, I was going to say. I mean, I think it's probably the right. We, we, we've had the emotional, visceral reaction from from you know Jonathan, myself, and and uh, and Clayton. I mean, let's be fair. I mean, it was scintillating football. I mean, I, I just looked at that first half an hour and I was thinking, bloody hell! If we play like this for ninety minutes and for the rest of the season, we will win the title. It was just astonishing. But as as we've already said, it didn't really last. But you know, Joe, your intelligence uh, is 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 massive. Can you make can you make some sense of the madness that we witnessed for us, please? <laughs> I think the the thing probably to to bring up at this point is that Sari's kind of coaching style is is this sort of thing called like positional play, and this is stuff that you'll see coaches like Guardiola and Klopp and Pochettino, and actually even Mourinho, but in a, in a slightly different kind of way. And, and this is sort of where you effectively kind of dissect the pitch up into a number of kind of zones and depending on kind of where the ball is you kind of you know your left back and your left midfielder have to go to like zones two and three and four and five and it's all these kind of various cues and this the coaching style is is there to kind of make sure that the players 
know that sort of in any particular situation, particularly without the ball, that they know exactly where they need to be because the the gaps between the midfield, defence and forwards, it's all kind of sort of ideal positional play and, and, and it's kind of the most efficient use of the space and it means you can press the ball easier. It means if you if you uh, get a quick turnover in midfield, if Kante nicks the ball, that the, the guys ahead of the field are actually in kind of ideal positions to, to receive a quick pass. So this sort of positional play stuff that he's trying to coach you about the ball, I think you can probably see it best on some of the chances they had is where Jorginho is kind of very central. And I think he's maybe expecting Barkley or or even Alonso to be maybe sort of five yards kind of closer to him on, on his left-hand side. But there are the, the kind of gaps that are between the players at this point are maybe a little bit big. And, and with this sort of positional play stuff, particularly in terms of how it's coaching, it could take two, maybe three months of, of work on the training pitch. And, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why Sara uses drones to get that kind of vertical view of the pitch to see where kind of the players are positioned. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, at the moment, it's a little bit like organised chaos. We're kind of there in some places. I think more often than not, we're definitely not in the right positions. You can see, particularly sort of towards the end of that first half, when we were kind of getting exploited a bit, that I think, I think Clayton said it, the, the sort of shape of the team completely disappeared. And it, it requires really, really intelligent players to be able to play this kind of football. It's why you look at some of the players that Guardiola's brought in and had success with, Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, you know, David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne are really, really intelligent players who who know how to exploit space, where to stand, where to be, these sorts of things. So I'm looking maybe at someone like Ross Barkley, who plays a pretty crucial role as, as that left central midfield spot. I, I think one of the criticisms that he's always had throughout his career is that his football IQ isn't always necessarily the highest. And I do look at him sometimes being maybe five yards kind of, you know, sort of away from where he should be. And I think a little bit that's, that kind of plays into why Marcus Alonso is a little bit exposed. He doesn't necessarily have the cover. So yeah, I mean, from from a kind of really technical kind of perspective, I think that that style of football, it's you know, it's a reason why Guardiola is the highest paid manager in the world because he's got the kind of art of coaching that style down to a T. It's why City were was so good last season, both defensively and obviously when they had the ball as well. So it will take time. I think it took maybe seven to ten games at Napoli for for the style to sort of kick in, particularly off the ball. Um, I think you can see that there's a there's a definite tangible difference when we're attacking I think we're a lot more cutting we've got a lot more cutting edges a lot more fluidity in the team but defensively um maybe only Jorginho knows where he's supposed to be at the moment I think Kante can kind of get away with it because he's he's so athletic and dynamic but I think the rest of the team are going to have to kind of figure out quite soon uh kind of where they're meant to be standing because at the moment these sort of you know 15 20 minutes 30 minute catches we're seeing in games if you play the cities of this world and maybe the Liverpool's that's all they need to score two, three goals against you. Because if you're not in the right position, you effectively sort of kill all your teammates around you. So it's it's going to take time. I think we're, we're quite lucky that we've got a lead up a game to the, the City game where I think we can kind of improve this this aspect of play. Um, but I think by the time we get to City, it needs to be, you know, light years are kind of better than, than what we've seen so far because they will they will tear us to pieces if we, if we have these sort of patches in games where everyone kind of loses their head a bit. So, Joe, what do you mm. think the reason was that we, uh, that it all fell apart after 30 minutes? Because it seemed to me that they, is it mental exhaustion, physical exhaustion? What is it? Because there was this spe- specific yeah. period where they just went, where you thought they're, they're not moving and it's just full, it's just not happening. And Arsenal absolutely spotted that and yeah. just went, now's our time. Now, now we can get in there and score as many goals as we like. They yeah. were so, so eager for the half time whistle not to go Arsenal because they thought they'd score four goals. I mean, yeah. so did I. So did we all. But what do you think is that? What do you think that's about then? Is it just losing concentration? Is it? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think the you know a lot of a lot of is made of Sari's football in in terms of when we have the ball and how how exciting how attacking that is. But the thing that that goes unnoticed is that defensively, I think he requires players to be 
100% concentrated for the entire 90 minutes. And I think what you saw, particularly in that period where we lost control, I mean, from from the, the TV, I could see Jorginho was kind of wildly sort of gesticulating at players and he was sort of yeah. trying to push people around the place. I do think that he's probably the only one who really kind of understands where everyone needs to be. I think he's kind of like the main the main chess piece for, for Sarri in terms of, I, I just think it was a mental lapse. You know, we've gone 2-0 up against a side who, under Conte, I think we, we won one once in eight games. So they, they've become a bit of a, a bogey team for us. And now we're sort of, we've kind of blasted them off the pitch in the first 30 minutes. I do think, you know, it's probably not a, a hugely controversial thing to say that this Chelsea squad doesn't maybe necessarily have that kind of killer mentality that we've seen in, in maybe the past 10 years or so. But I just think that they, they, they relaxed. And as soon as you're relaxing games like this, as soon as your positioning becomes sloppy, I think you're right, Arsenal kind of, they had that five-minute spell where they were hang, hanging a minute, we're kind of getting on the front foot here, and then they sort of yes. took over. And once you kind of switch off, particularly with this style of play, it's very hard, very hard to just turn it back on again. Um, I think that's why we, when we got to half-time, 15 minutes to sort of sort the players out, you kind of saw a much, much different side, particularly, I, I would say, attitude-wise and maybe sort of focus-wise in the second half. But, yeah, I mean, for me, it just seemed like we, we switched off. Maybe I think that we we kind of took our foot off the gas at 2-0, but equally, I think it's a little bit of a question of that this, this side needs to kind of up their, their sort of mental fortitude a little bit because, you know, the, the style of play requires you to be focused for the entire 90 minutes. You can't switch off because, you know, even teams, I'm not saying Arsenal are one of the best teams in the league, but, you know, they, they will they will score goals and we will concede goals if we do switch off um, playing this style of football. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, I tell you what. I mean, I, there's there's much more to get into on on these points. It's great having Joe on the show tonight because his his analysis of these games is way more than mine, sober or not. But uh, after the break, we are going to carry on this whole idea about this pressing and and how we're going to improve that and how they're going to adapt to it. But we're also going to look at some of the defensive frailties, which are a bit of a concern, which come out of that, and in particular the role that Kante is playing. A lot of chatter about that. And, uh, and more as well. We'll be back with you in a second. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters, and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you are, of course, listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And uh, uh, about this time, I like to remind uh, people who listen to this lovely little show that we also have a website with some fine, fine writers, all of whom will get a mention later. And, of course, the editor, my boss, the lovely Gion Carbis, who we had the delight in seeing in the Cock Pub on Saturday because he was at the game. And uh, he's in Mixler tonight, I believe. I'm sure I've seen his name pop up there. Uh, now, before the break, uh, we uh, we uh, were talking about the, you know how the players are, are trying to adapt to Sarri's pressing game and the fact that they... Uh, you know, basically their concentration and perhaps their stamina kind of slacked off a bit, which let Arsenal back in. And, you know, it did look a bit ropey at times. Um, one of the things that we were alluding to, and in fact, actually, Joe, I, I spoke about this on a couple of shows last week, which I was worried about the left-hand side in that, you know, Alonso is very good at bombing forward, but not so good at bombing back. Barkley, uh, as we know, you know, he, he's not the best defensive, you know, he, he He's very good offensively, but not so good defensively and certainly tracking back. And whether it was Hazard or William played on the left, we know that they're not too fond of it either. So I, I kind of thought that there would be a vulnerability down that side. And, and so it proved. Um, 
but you know, I have to be honest. I mean, the 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 uh, the hate that Alonso gets is just ridiculous. And okay, yes, yeah. that was a vulnerability amongst others. But don't let let's not let, let us not forget this guy was arguably the man of the match. He he made a superb goal for Pedro, and and he put away a superb goal to win the game for us. Do you th- do you think the criticism is of him is unfair, Joe? I mean, I think he he's kind of a wonderfully sort of polarizing player in many respects, and I think he's he's definitely one that obviously gets a lot of discussion on social media. But I mean, I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to say I'm the world's biggest Marco Alonso fan, but I actually think on Saturday, particularly going forward, I did have reservations actually him just being a, a kind of normal left back rather than a wing back, and I, I think probably Saturday his his attack and performance was about as good as I as I can remember him being, even kind of in his wing back role. So, you know, I think that there's there's probably an element where I think he's actually improved quite a lot going forward. I think one of my criticisms of him is that for someone who has maybe one of the best left foots that's ever been at Chelsea Football Club, the fact that he could not really seem to cross a ball with any kind of regular sort of accuracy or that he would constantly kind of not pick a player out in the final third always used to baffle me. But I think we saw uh, a huge improvement with him in, in that respect. I think he's he seems to have, have, have improved massively going forward, which is fantastic. I think defensively, it's it's just going to be something that that Alonso is going to have to have to deal with and figure out because the, the problem with, with playing this high line and this high pressing football and, and the requirements for um, sort of particularly the left back to kind of provide sort of natural width is that not only do you need to be super, super fit, you've got to be a bit more athletic as well. And I think that that's really just something that, that, that he does struggle with is you know, even sort of last season and when he's been playing particularly well, if you put a, a pacey winger up against him, you know that he's, he's going to be in for a bit of a tough day and, you know, I mean, I think it also does come down to the fact that I don't think Barkley really, going back to some of this positional play stuff, is really sort of helping him out too much in, in, in that respect as well. It felt a bit like he was getting left isolated with Bellerin. And, you know, Bellerin, I don't think, is a, is a really fantastic right back, but we, we all know he's incredibly fast. So, you know, that, that's something that I think is going to draw out some of Marcus Alonso's sort of negative points. But I think, you know, this is a guy who has who's come up with so many sort of crucial kind of moments and, and winners that... You know, there, there, there has to be a bit more openness and a little bit more kind of respect for, for him as a player because, again, we're talking about a left-back popping up like in the six-yard box to, to tap in a uh, to, to actually really good finish to sort of win the game for us. And you know, it's, it's not something that you see from a lot of left-backs. And, you know, again, the kind of problem for me is if you take him out of the team, he is a pretty big source of goals, whether it's from his set pieces or his ability to just sort of pop up and, and finish as well. So... You know, I think it's it's going to be a bit of a, I don't know, it's going to be something for sorry to solve because I think defensively he is a bit suspect. You know, he's he's not sort of the Ashley Cole left back where you can just sort of leave him on an island and just let him deal with whoever's out there. I think he does need support. So, you know, I think when you're talking about sort of the Kante question a bit later, I think that that probably plays into into Alonso's hands a bit more. But yeah, I mean, I felt he was he was really good going forward on Saturday. I think some of the the hatred he gets is is well over the top. I mean, it's it's sort of become yeah. a fairly prevalent thing in in sort of social media that well, some yeah. player or any kind of player has to have the be, be sort of the you know the apple of the uh, of the eye of the people that don't particularly like Chelsea players, despite being oh, Chelsea yeah, fans. Yeah, but yeah. no, I, I, no, I thought he had a pretty good game, scored the winning goal, and okay, yeah, you can point out his defensive frailties, but you know, it's not something that I think people were are unfamiliar with, and I, I think sorry, we'll just have to try and adapt things because. It doesn't look like Palmieri is anywhere near getting that that first team spot. So yeah, he scored nine well, goals. Exactly. Less I mean, than you winning. know, it's it, it. Yeah, I mean, he, exactly, Jonathan. His 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 contribution is huge. And I mean, I I know it's a bit weird to to judge a player, a defender, on his ability in the other half of the team. But I would I would conversely say 
that yeah you know maybe he's not the best uh, left fullback in the world but you know it, we defend as a team and I think that's my point you know if he if he's being leave if he yeah. if he is being left exposed by other players he shouldn't be taking the sole rap for that I just want to extend a point that Joe made in, in part one actually uh, and talk to Clayton and Jonathan about this but um Given that Sarri's pretty much, you know, got the squad he had last year, barring a, a couple of honourable exceptions, and given that playing the way that he wants to play, you know, will take some time to adapt, and given what Joe was saying about Pep Guardiola, that he's brought in players specifically who are intelligent enough to play his system, Clayton, do you think it's going to be difficult to play with some of the players that we've got. I mean, Alonso's a case in point. You know, he was brought in specifically really to play one kind of system and now he's expected to play in another and he might not be the man for that position. And there are probably others in the team that you could say that about as well. I mean, what, what does he do? Does he does he try and put square pegs in round holes or, 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 or do we just buy new players? Well, I, you know, this, this goes back to the whole coaching thing, doesn't it? Because... Um, <clears throat> One of the things, I know it's probably unfashionable to say anything nice about Conte, but I'm going to. Um, but one of the things when Conte first arrived and what he did was he did actually put players who weren't used to particular positions, obviously Victor Moses being the, the prime example, and coaching them to do that. Now, Alonso's got amazing athleticism. He's always been a little bit vulnerable defensively, but maybe he is something that Sarri feels he can work with to enhance his defensive responsibilities yes as 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 just been spoken about he will need to get more cover and more protection which on saturday he got virtually nil um but it's a new system and i think that's you know going back to win or lose we we've got to embrace that and i don't i don't take any notice of the haters i mean you know it's william one week it's alonzo the next week who gives a toss you know if you're proper fans you support (laughs) your team so Say 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 what you like about them. Um, the thing is that I I really like Emerson. I really like him. Every time I've seen him, he's looked like a proper proper footballer. Is he injured at the moment? I think somebody mentioned he might have a bad back or something. Um, because I, you know, we're talking about this whole squad rotation, the whole burnout possibility. But I would like to see him given a go. Not you know. I mean, Alon- I'm not binning Alonso after two games. Uh, his contribution on Saturday was immense. Um, but Sarri has said it's going to take three months. That team is not going to be the same team in three months' time, a bit like Conte when Conte came. So I think it, it is interesting. I mean, sort of going back to Ross Barkley, I mean, I thought Ross Barkley played really well on Saturday. I think it was unfortunate that his pass um, led to Arsenal's first goal. But part of me actually thought that William didn't exactly break his neck to get to No, he didn't. It was a poor pass and it was across the middle of our field. But I thought that Ross Barkley played really well. And he is going, you know, he, he is. There's no doubt that there's a huge talent in there. And he's going to develop and he's going to get better. And all these guys, I mean, the thing is, I was, you know, on Saturday... In terms of the squad and then everybody coming back from the World Cup, he's had that team for three weeks. That's all. Mm. And and look, you know, all of us could see what the difference was on Saturday. Um, and that's in three weeks. So if you think about another three months, we are the way we play is going to be unrecognisable. If those players don't fit, 
then they will have to be changed. If it's within the squad, yeah. then so be it. But if he considers that's not going to happen, then then yeah, we'll have to go to the market. But it doesn't it depend mm. also Clayton, well, Clayton, on who what teams were going to be playing in in the Europa League, because uh, surely he can he could play a completely different eleven uh, if against a very weak team in the Europa League at the beginning, just I, to see who just to see who who can actually adapt to the system better. I I, I agree, and I, I I don't know. I, I suspect I'll get shouted down, but I I've got no great. I mean, I, I'm sure the Europa League will be a fine adventure, but. If it means one season trying to work out how everything works and how all the squad fits in, I'm I'm happy to sort of to not bin the Europa, but just basically use that um, as an to basically yeah as an opportunity to see the players yeah. play kids, play fringe players. I mean, we're yeah, going to play yeah. some very odd teams in the first three yes. stages. Yes. So why why not use it? I mean, weirdly, Clayton, while I found, I've got you, well, um, uh, hang on a minute, Jonathan. Somebody you Clayton, might fit. Clayton, sorry, what? sorry. Yeah, yeah. Clayton, sorry, yeah, so it's, yeah. sorry, Jonathan. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think you are hearing us a bit later than was. It must be difficult. So I apologise. About, fi- uh, about five I just seconds. To, it's about five yeah, seconds. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, mate. I just wanted to ask Clayton while we right. got him on full, full, full effect about what what he thinks of Kepa, the the you know one of our new players. Funnily enough. Um, you know, what he thought about his goalkeeping because it's arguable that he, he certainly was at fault for, for the first goal. I mean, he kind of got a paw on it and it kind of went straight through it. I mean, again, maybe I'm being curmudgeonly, Clayton, but what what did you think as our resident goalkeeping expert? Uh, no, I think that you, you make a fair point and I suspect that if that would have been Bill Bauer playing um, in a game, and that shot would have come through. He would have saved it. I think he was very, very nervous on Saturday, which I cannot blame him oh. for at all. The whole occasion. Mm. Um, and I thought that he, he looked nervous, but he also looked like a goalkeeper. Uh, I know that sounds like a strange thing to say. Um, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that, yes, he probably could have done better than the first one. I don't know if anybody um, saw the Sunday Times. Um, but Duncan Castles, that well-known Chelsea lover, um, Twat. gave his ratings, and he basically said that Kepper could have basically um, he'll the most expensive goalkeeper in the world be disappointed to let in two savable goals. Well, okay, the first one maybe, but the second one, I, I really don't think so. Not but I, I think yeah, he, I, agree. I, I think he's he basically he looked a bit nervous. Um, and it wasn't then helped by the absolute and utter collapse in front of him. Um, but I think he, he's going to grow into the role. But what I mean is he looks like a goalkeeper is the fact that when I watch Willie uh, or I watch, um, I mean, if, if people remember what Hilario is like, they don't look Hilarious. like goalkeepers to me. They look like they were nothing funny about him. They look quite stiff and they look quite, mm. I don't know. I'm not, not explaining it very well, but what I mean is that he looked like a natural goalkeeper. He's 24. Mobile. I think he's going to have problems in the first couple of months. Mobile, yes, but I think he will have problems. But I think you know he's got all. He, to me, he looked like a goalkeeper. But yeah, I mean, as I say, mm. I think that that first shot, that first goal, he will be disappointed. And as I say, if it wouldn't have been his debut at home, but I I suspect he would have saved that nine times out of ten. 
You know what surprised me about him, actually? Having having seen the big-nosed waffle muncher in goal for the last few seasons, um, he, he looked really quite small to me, mate. Apparently he's two inches smaller. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, well, there so we go. So maybe that's a presence Who knew? thing. Um, but yeah, no, he, he, yeah. he is a little bit smaller, but um, at least he's here and he wants to be here. Yeah. All right. Okay. I want to move on to this thing. And actually, Jonathan, amazing. This is you're going to love this. Uh, we, we're going to have an early email for you to read out if you're if you're prepared. I, I can't believe I've wow. surprised you with this because it is in the script, but it relates very much to something that I wanted to talk about, which I mentioned earlier about Kante. And it's from the lovely John Chips Chiverton, who is in Mixler as we speak. Uh, this is from, uh, as you say, John, the lovely John Chips Chiverton. A very short email just to share my annoyance at Kante being played out to position. In my opinion, Sarri should revert him to playing in his accustomed role where he's so much more effective. We have countless players who could fulfil that slightly more advanced position and would offer a bigger threat on goal. Surely all this requires is a minor positional change without affecting the formation too much and using the same personnel. Great result yesterday, very pleasing on the eye, mostly. I just worry we have defensive frailties and think the reversion of Kante would enable our back four to apply themselves so much more, particularly with getting to wide players driving to the byline. All the best guys, chips. Very apt, appropriate and... uh, Beautifully timed Chidge in the middle of the show, because mm. indeed we do need to discuss this. Um, it's you, uh, it's a you conundrum, think? as you've been saying. Well, I was I was amused to see him constantly up in the, uh, um, and there were three up, uh, and there he was, one of the three. Um, but I, I I think the problem is is that um, uh, as you've been saying, um, Jorginho uh, is such an organizer of this system that he can't get forward. The ideal situation would be have Jorginho coming forward, obviously. Um, but he can't get out of being the man who guides everybody. The amount, You know, he had a bandaged hand, Jorginho. I said it's because he's been gesturing too much, because he's been, <laughs> been flagging everybody in. Come on, you go there, move there, do that. And he'd injured, injured himself through overexerting his fingers. But um, uh, he, it, there was, he was constantly, as you said and as Joe said, moving people into position. So he's the one who knows how it's supposed to be played. The dilemma is, is that Kante um, then ceases to be defensive, doesn't he? Because he's, he, he's having to move forward because Jorginho becomes the defensive midfielder. So I'm actually at a loss to know where you put Kante. I don't know where he goes in this setup. Because if you've got to have somebody bombing forward, uh, whether it's only temporary that Jorginho is there, then he bombs forward when Kante knows what to do. Or what, what do you do if everybody's supposed to be pressing? Is that it? Does Kante have to play forward? I mean, to me, I'm, I'm slightly worried about it because he, he's absolutely not as effective playing, playing, you know, up front, one of the three. Uh, I know, good, I'm pleased that he gets up there because he can get back, but he's not his destructive at his destructive best, is he? We didn't look at him and think he's he's got you know he's put all those tackles in and he's got the ball because it wasn't he, and he, he's getting the ball out of those really you know intricate little little uh, um, you know when he when he scrags somebody and gets to it before you think he can't possibly get that and he's got it. There was no opportunity for it because he's just pressing all the time. So at the moment he doesn't work in that system for me. So I'm at, at, at a bit of a loss where on earth he goes. 
Um, yeah, um, okay. It's it's well, it's slightly bewildering. Well, I, I agree in a sense, although I've got a couple of answers, but um, somebody with a much larger brain than all of us is on the show tonight, so I'm going to ask him. Clayton? No, no, joking. Joe, um, what do you... Uh, what, what's your <laughs> summation? What, what What's your... No offence, Clayton. Uh, what's your summation of that, that scenario, Joe? I mean, it, it, Kante, from my mind, is the best holding midfielder in the game, but I agreed with what Jonathan was saying to a certain degree, is that if you want to have Sarri's style of football, then the, the conductor on the pitch has got to be Jorginho, and it makes sense for him to be central. But then is that not a waste of Kante's huge skills? What do we do? How do we sort this one out? I think, I suppose, first of all, I mean, I would say, and maybe this is a bit strange for me being kind of the young voice of reason, but it, it, it is kind of only two games in <laughs> um, to, to them sort of playing True. together. Um, now, I, I think that in terms of them developing like a relationship that we've seen with with other sort of players who kind of dovetail in that fashion, I think it, it's definitely going to take a few games. You know, when Jorginho played with, I think the guy's name was Alan at Napoli, you know, they, they had a, a relationship where they would they would interchange, it would be a little bit more fluid, but... I think really it's 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 very much a catch twenty two situation. If you put Kante into Jorginho's spot, you lose that incredible passing ability that Jorginho has, and I think a lot of the attacks and the organisation that that dissipates. It's not saying that Kante is not an intelligent footballer. I just think Jorginho is exceptionally good at that sort of stuff. And I think equally, what you're seeing now with Kante playing slightly further up the pitch is that when we do press, Kante can win the ball, you know, 20, 30, 40 yards higher up the pitch than when he normally would, which means, you know, his his ability to, to regain possession is exceptional. If he can do that, you know, that that much higher up the pitch, I think that that's a positive thing. I think that the, the, the troubling thing will be for Kante, and uh, this is something I got a little, kind of a little bit of stick for in the summer, was saying that I always felt that he would be in that right central midfield position. And for me, like defensive third, middle third of the pitch, I don't think you've got a better midfielder in world football than Kante, but... If you're putting all the onus on him to be like truly box to box and have more of a of an in- influence in the final third, I think it's going to take time for him to adapt to that and adjust to that because you know he's he's not a, a kind of intricate or, or uh, that type of player in in kind of the final third. He's going to play sort of slide ball passes and, and maybe pick up you know five, ten, fifteen goals a season. So I think for him it's it's going to be a, a slight a- adaptation as well. But it, it comes back to that question of of you know if you want Kante being the the holding player. You know, I think you you lose so much from from the system and how we're trying to play with Jorginho not being there. And I think conversely as well, that what, what we'll see with, with Kante playing slightly further forward is that, yes, it gives you the opportunity to win the ball, you know, ball back much higher up the park. Gives you the ability to be more aggressive in your pressing and, and how you want to kind of really sort of be on the front foot. But equally... When he does win the when he does win the ball back and when he's kind of expected to do more with the, with the ball, I don't think that that's necessarily going to get the best out of him. He's not sort of a a, a real creative force in the final third. So yeah, I mean, I, I would caveat everything by saying that it, it's de- it's definitely two games in, and I think again we will see Sari kind of adjust sort of the roles of the players as he kind of moves forward. But I think at the moment, you know, Jorginho and Kante have to play because they are you know streets ahead of. Of pretty much everyone else in terms of those two positions so they will probably play quite a lot of games it's just going to be about getting the right balance between maybe releasing sort of Jorginho further up the pitch because you know we saw with the pass he put through to Pedro for the first goal I mean his his radar his ability to find those passes his vision is is about as good as I've seen it you know and I know it's it's very early days but I think he is exceptional an exceptional pass of the ball so get that you know closer to the goal I think we saw at Napoli 
regularly that he could pick out these little side wall passes like Fabregas kind of in sort of his early days at Chelsea could. So you'd want to release that a bit further forward, maybe have Kante kind of drop in. But I think that kind of dovetailing that, that you want to see between them, where Jorginho presses uh, forward with the ball and, and is a little bit more of a force in the final third with Kante dropping back, I think that's going to take time. I think maybe that's what Sarri is slightly alluding to with his two to three month comments about the, the team taking shape. Because if those two do get that balance right, I mean, you've got... Uh, an incredibly, incredibly uh, you know, robust and, and impactful midfield pairing. I think not many teams in the league are, are going to have a better combination than if they do find that the kind of balance that I think Sarri is after. Mm. The interesting thing about this, Clayton, great stuff, Joe, by the way, and, and I, I would also agree very much with the idea that you could have Kante doing what he used to do centrally further up the pitch and, and disrupting and winning the ball and, and, and enabling a... Um, that high press to work but this is the thing Clayton I think there's another interesting element in this mix as well because Kovacic who I spent uh, most of the last two weeks uh, calling Kovacevic much to the hilarity of some of our listeners who were very rude to me on Twitter I didn't respond because I'm far too kind um, but I've not so. seen him play I hadn't I, yeah well yeah whatever but anyway um <laughs> well, I was very impressed with him, basically, when he came on. I thought he was superb. Um, I loved his energy. And it really kind of occurred to me, Clayton, that actually you could play Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante. And then in the middle of the field, you've got three players who are very mobile, three players who can pass, three players who can press and win the ball and disrupt the game. And actually, if you've got three really good people up front, so Hazard, William, Pedro, Morata, any, any combination of those, you've got enough creativity in the team. And anyway, actually, you know, Kovacic can run at people and beat people, so he's creative. Uh, Kante's got pace to burn. And Jorginho's clearly creative as well in his own way. So, you know, perhaps that might be the front three, rather than, sorry, the, the middle three, rather than having Barkley on the left. I, I think without question, um, I was blown away by his 30 minutes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it really was breathtaking. And some of the interplay between him and Hazard, you know, they came on. I can't remember. Did they come on together? Um, they came yeah. on and they were passing little the little triangles between them and Jorginho were just stunning with a player who has been at the club five minutes. Absolutely superb. Top, top player. Um I read a fantastic tweet. Uh, somebody said, if Real Madrid had got three better players than that in midfield, then they're very lucky. Because I just thought he was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Mm. Um, part of me was slightly depressed because I thought, you look at that and however much you want Ruben Loftus-Cheek to succeed yeah, exactly. and be in that team or on, a, on another level, Barkley, I've never, ever seen Ruben Loftus-Cheek come onto a pitch and do that. Now, I might be being unfair on him and this whole squad rotation thing will give chances to Barkley, to um, Loftus-Cheek. But these are the three. That is our three-man midfield. And I don't think there's any any doubt about that at all. I can't see um, why you would not play those three. Um, I'm... Sort of when I was watching him on on Saturday, I was spitting feathers that we didn't get some sort of buy, you know, option to buy clause. But I can actually see why Real Madrid weren't keen to put an option to buy clause in it because 
they probably know what a good player he is, and they probably know that a season, you know, after a season in the Premier League, then if they need him, they've got him back. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I, I think that's our our middle three. I, I don't think there's there's an argument. I, I, there isn't sort of any way you wouldn't play those three um, once you've got the opportunity to do that. Um, it may take another couple of weeks for him to get match fit a bit like Eden. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think that's it. And I, as I say, I, I do, I fear for uh, game time for Ruben um, and to some degree uh, Barkley as well. Which in many respects is a bit of a shame. I mean, I, I really do like Barkley and I think that there's a hell of a player desperate to get out. And, and I mean, this is a kid that broke on into the England team, you know, in 2014 and, and has got talent to burn. I, I agree with what we were saying earlier. That I caps. wonder if his tactical... Yeah, exactly. I wonder if his tactical discipline is up there, but he's young. And of course, you know, uh, Loftus-Cheek is the great hope of the academy and we would all love to see him succeed. Now, as it happens, as the the, the fate of uh, Chelsea fancast plays out, we've got Jonathan, who's not a a, a huge fan of Loftus-Cheek, and we've got Joe, who's been a very avid defender of him, certainly on social media. So, um, can I, can, Jonathan, can I ask Joe first and then get you to respond and, and let's see how this plays out? I mean, it does look to me, Joe, like Loftus-Cheek looks as though it might be quite hard for him to break into the side if if Sarri does go Kovacic, Jorginho, Kante. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree on that. And it's kind of ironic in a way that his, his success kind of at the end of last season for Crystal Palace and, and breaking into the England squad when Barkley was, was nowhere near it has kind of sort of been to his detriment in, in a way because he... He hasn't been around really for for sort of sorry to to really get his his hands into him and I mean going back to a couple of weeks ago I was very fortunate to to be on a podcast with Nathaniel Chaloba and he made some really really interesting points about being a, a Chelsea academy player and how much of uh, your kind of opportunities are are almost right time you know right place right time rather than the ability yep. that you have and you know I look at yep. someone like Hudson Odoi this preseason who mm. you know had Hazard been there had William been there had Pedro been there. You know, would 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 we have seen anywhere near the amount of game time they had? And I think maybe what we've seen with with Loftus Cheek is that despite you know a very successful end to the campaign with Crystal Palace, incredibly high praise from a lot of people within the game. That I think him him coming back, even though coming back a, a week early from from his um, sort of holiday to pre-season, I just think that he was he was too far behind Barkley. Um, and I, I've been a big fan of Kovacic for. For, for quite a while. I mean, the, the fact that you can't get in a midfield ahead of Tony Cruz and Luka Modric shouldn't really count against you considering they're probably no. two of the three best midfielders on the planet. So, you know, there was always a, a huge talent now and I think we saw in his cameo that he's a he's a wonderfully gifted player. But it, it, it all comes back to that question of opportunity. And I think the, the one thing we've lost his cheek and I think the one thing that will be detriment to his career is that for him, it always takes him a number of games to get up to speed. And you know, I think we saw with Palace when he came back from that injury, he had that kind of 15 sort of game stretch at the end of last season where he was playing exceptionally well every single week, um, constantly being picked out on match of the day by pundits, constantly being mentioned by by uh, Roy Hodgson and, and, and kind of other people as a, as a really, really top talented player. One of the main reasons that Palace sort of kicked on towards the end of last season. But we know from, from you know, if you just look at historical uh, kind of game time for Chelsea Academy players, 
Sari is not going to give him a, a five-game stretch of back-to-back games to let him get up to speed in the team. And I think that's going to be the thing that, that always holds him back is that he does always require that run of games to kind of get himself going. And I even think in, in pre-season, we saw some of his first-half performances were a little bit lacklustre. And then in the second half, he started to pick things up a bit because he seems to be just a, a player that requires a little bit of uh, bedding in and, and, and maybe a, just as a kind of a bit like locomotion. He's, once he kind of gets going, he's very, very difficult to stop. And yeah, it, it seemed to me, particularly when talking to, to Nathaniel Chaloba, that as, as an academy player dropping into Chelsea's first team, that the lack of consistent opportunities and the, the lack of consecutive starts is really difficult to try and try and make an impression on. So I think he's, he's in a, he was in a tricky situation coming back from the World Cup. And you know, I think what we've seen, particularly with Kovacic coming in and Barkley probably being maybe two or three weeks ahead of him in terms of Sarri's coaching, that he was always going to be third choice. And if I was him and that there's talk of going to Schalke potentially on the table, you know, for me, for, for his own career, I think he has to try and take those minutes because he's never going to be a Chelsea player unless he gets regular game time. And he's only really had one season of football under his belt, did manage to make the England World Cup squad, you know, did look uh, a really good player towards the end of last season for Palace as well. So there's definitely a lot of talent in there. I think what Sari said about him tactically was very, very spot on. I know a lot of people will say that he's he's lazy or lacks desire, etc. I think it's really just a question of him not really knowing, a little bit like Barkley, kind of where to be, particularly off the ball. Um, I don't think there's ever really been a question of his ability on the ball, you know, his ability to sort of dribble, beat players and, and play that kind of one-on-two touch stuff. I thought would, would maybe lend himself to, to Sari, but I think the the fact that he's going to need a lot of coaching off the ball, I think also is probably going to be, going to, be to his detriment. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a question of, of maybe he's, you know, his success last season has, has perhaps counted against him. But, you know, he's still 22. You know, I was saying to, to someone else today that Frank Lampard wasn't a, a world-class player until his mid to, you know, kind of mid to late 20s. I think he, he won the, the silver ball or whatever it is, the, the Ballon d'Or runner-up when he was 27. So I do think that occasionally we are a little bit too quick to write off players, particularly ones who, who haven't had that, that kind of regular game time. So, I mean, I'm still, I'm still very optimistic that there's a very good player in there. I think... He just needs regular football and, you know, whether it's going to be at Chelsea or elsewhere, he just needs to play regularly this season. Um, hopefully, if he can remain injury-free, he'll get a full season under his belt and then we'll probably look at him again next summer. But it feels like uh, a little bit like he's, he's kind of missed his opportunity or missed his window to impress Sari. And Sari seems fairly set on the kind of Barkley and, and Kovacic has been sort of his one and two for that position that he would probably play. Mm. I think it's just Jonathan, it's what terrible do you reckon timing, about all that then, actually. mate? Mm. Saying I think it's terrible timing. I think he's been really unfortunate um, that yeah. he's he. I think he should have made a decision to go on loan uh, practically immediately, but he wasn't to know uh, that Barkley would be um, ahead of him in the pecking order, or even just fitter, or even back to fitness, and he wasn't to know that Kovacic was going to be purchased because Kovacic is clearly completely the real deal. I mean, yeah, he is. My yeah. my, my goodness me, what what a uh, what a debut! One of the best debuts yeah. I've ever seen, I think, yeah. from a Chelsea player. Stanich. Quite phenomenal. Stanich in, uh, when that he first played. Hour. Yeah, yeah. Remember yeah, well, then he fell debut? apart, though, didn't he? Stanich after that. I know. Yes, he, he scored I with know, that volley but... against West Ham. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then he wasn't quite yeah. the same again after that. But um, he liked but for kicking me, people, uh, though, which I always uh, loved him no, for. I, Yes, he, he, yes, we all like that. I think actually, <laughs> particularly those of us who remembered remember Chopper. That's always that's always a plus, yes. isn't it? I think when you kick people and get away with it is what it is. I think which he was he was quite good at. Um, but uh, for me, I mean, I, I mean, I've I've not been been Loftus Cheek's great fan, and I do, uh, uh, but I um, biggest fan. But I do think that um, he he definitely improved at Palace, 
and uh, and he was good when he played for England um, uh, before the World Cup. I don't think he had an opportunity to play much in the World Cup, but when he played in those those friendlies, um, uh, clearly there's a there's a star in the making. But if he's not going to get in. Uh, into the Chelsea side, unless he plays, as I've said, in the Europa League in the early rounds. Um, for me, and actually what Joe said, he has to go and get uh, minutes. He has to he has to go away for a year, and the the onus is completely on him. He has to impress. He has to be the best player. And I think what you were saying earlier about you need to have to be intelligent to play in this system. He's got to get maturer, and he's got to show that he's bright enough to play in this system. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why Batshuayi didn't make it um, into the... Uh, you know, he went out on loan practically immediately because um, Sarri just had to, to work with him for about four days or even less than that to discover that he wasn't taking things in. And that was the reason that Conte got rid of him. Remember that story that I, I remember being told that uh, he did one-on-one with Moses, who he taught beautifully, uh, to play wing-back. And he then tried to get Batshuayi to play the way that he wanted him to play. And it was in one ear and out of the other. So uh, for all those uh, on the internet saying uh, that Chelsea are mad not giving Batshuayi a chance, um, you know, the managers are ahead of the game here. This, nobody ever takes into account. The manager is looking at players and he works with them. And if he discovers very early on he's not the kind of player he wants, he's going to go. It's the same, I'm afraid, with Kurt Zuma. If he wasn't working for him, off he goes on loan and they hope that something's going to work out. If it doesn't, they're going to get a decent, a bit decent fee for him. But no, I, I'm. It's it. Poor Roftus Cheek. The timing could not be worse for him, and that's just fate for me. Playing the playing it that you've got a fit, uh, a fit Barkley, um, who's who's similarly as you were saying. I don't think he's the sharpest tool in the box. So let's hope he can. Let's hope he can. Uh, um, uh, let's hope he can fit into the system. But um, uh, Kovacic is really. Uh, the bee's knees completely. And uh, as you say, that becomes a, a formidable midfield triumvirate. It does, doesn't it? I'm very excited about it. Um, the other thing is, I mean, we're just to round off this part, yeah. really, we should have a look at what's going on up front. And, uh, you know, Hazard comes on with another match-changing cameo. Uh, I think the new system really, really yeah, suits phenomenal. Pedro, who's a fantastically technical player. And I think this kind of system given that he used to be a Barcelona player, suits him very well. But I think the other thing, really, was how pleasing it was to see Morata get off the mark and, and see what that might do for his confidence, Clayton. Um, and I thought he put the goal away really well, actually, to be fair. And, I mean, he's had a lot of stick recently. And we need... I mean, Sarri's clearly decided he's his man. So, you know, this is what we want. We want to see him scoring goals and putting them away as well as he did. Uh, yeah, I agree. And he showed on Saturday how much of a confidence player he is because after he scored the goal, uh, he was running around and doing things that he hadn't been doing. Um, I do, however, have a slight regret in so much as I, I don't know if you agree, but I thought after may, maybe it was fitness, but I thought towards the end of his time on the pitch, he was getting knocked over again and he was falling down again. And I, I just, I mean, I want him to work, but I'm still not convinced by him. I, I don't think he's strong enough for the Premier League. Um, I, mm. I was very pleased that he scored the goal. Um, but then, as I say, he, he was just getting knocked over again. And you want somebody to put themselves about. What was interesting, um, and 
I think spoke volumes for how I I perceived he played on Saturday was that um, when we sort of pick things up in the second half, and I, I do actually think that it gets sort of overlooked that um, as much as we fell apart for 15 minutes at the end of the first half, I don't actually think that we... Um, we were under too much threat at all in the second half. No, we weren't. Um, and I, I, I thought, I think that gets sort of left, left unsaid because I, I read so many sort of pundits who said, oh, it, it should have been a draw. Well, I don't actually think Arsenal did anything in the second half to actually warrant a draw. But no. going back to what I was saying, there was a point when we were, we were basically putting balls into the box. And for me, it was actually screaming out for Giroud to come on. Um, I, you know, what I'm trying to say here is I think a combination of the two would be great, but I just, I think we're lacking. I, I do. And I think that's going to, I think we will fall down this year, uh, unless we get somebody else in, in January. And I, I can't think who I'm not trying to be down on Morata because I actually think that he wants to succeed. I just don't know whether he can. I just don't know whether he's the sort of footballer who can uh, do what needs to be done in in what, in essence, is is a very, very tough league and a very physical league. He made a statement, didn't he, Clayton, about... He made a statement, didn't about... Yeah. preferring the way that Sarri yeah. played yeah. because well, he's, he's not having to, 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 to receive the ball with his back to the goal as much, which we've noticed he just seems to want to fall down all the time. He said the ball is less in the air for him, isn't well, it's, it's it? Not it's not his game, game is it? And I'm exactly honest. That. Yeah. No. No, uh, that, that's right. But there are times when we do have, we do need him to be stronger. And he needs, he needs to, he needs to man up. And he's been here a year now. So if it ain't going to happen, it ain't going to happen. I mean, as I say, well, I really you know, desperately come want on, him to dr- succeed. T- it, it took Drogba a while, remember, mate? I mean, I know they're different players and Drogba was a, physically a beast, but it took Drogba a good year and a half before he got that round his noodle that, you know, rolling around every time you got touched, you know, isn't going to work in the Premier League. Um, I don't know. There may be other options too. I mean, I like I like the fact that, that Giroud uh, is able to come on and do what he did. He was very unlucky not to score a couple of goals, actually. Um, and, and I like Giroud, or, I've got to be or honest. Pro, and he or seems profligate. To be... Well, okay, you know, you could say that, but uh, you know, remember, he's not had much game time recently, so he's, he won't have uh, that kind of match sharpness. But I, li- I like, I like the yeah. fact that he's a different striker from uh, from uh, Morata, and I think that helps. Of course, the other the other option, of course, Joe, is that we could have a very fluid and nimble front line of arguably Hazard, Pedro, Willian. Uh, you know, interchanging and and getting in amongst them. Could we not? And it was kind of nice to see Hazard come on. For the second game in, in, in the season, for a little cameo, and you know, like he created a superb goal against Huddersfield, he, he effectively won us the game in a sense because he gave, he gave Arsenal nightmares when he came on, and he's, and, he's not, and he's not even fit yet. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's definitely a possibility of, of Hazard or, or maybe even Pedro playing as a, as a, as a probably more of a forward than, than the kind of false nine system that we've seen before. I do think Hazard is is going to be incredibly dangerous on this left-hand side, so I would maybe try and stick with him there. I do think Pedro, actually, in, in looking at sort of the, the kind of Therese Mertens role for Napoli, how he was kind of converted from, from being a bit more of a traditional winger to a forward, and Pedro probably is the best finisher 
I'd say, in the squad at the moment. Yeah. I would say he's he's come to be the best finisher. Maybe Marcus Alonso is just slightly behind him. But I think Pedro actually would, would be a very interesting option there as well with, with William maybe on the right-hand side. But, I mean, I think probably the one player that we're maybe neglecting because he's not been involved so much so far. But I do think potentially that, that hudson Adoy could could sort of come into that equation, particularly maybe in the Europa League. A little bit like what Tottenham did with Harry Kane, where they kind of introduced him and he kind of got to a mm. point where they couldn't not actually play him in the Premier League. So maybe that's his way into into the team. But I, I do look at him, I think potentially, if you're looking for a, a pacey striker that, that can finish, has got a lot of technical ability as well, that, that Hassan Adoy, to me, looks like he could be sort of a Kylian Mbappe kind of player who who can play anywhere across the front three, play as a forward, play as a winger, and maybe he comes into the equation. But I, I do think Pedro probably of, of, of those three that mentioned of the senior players probably is, is the closest to, to being that kind of fool that we saw at Napoli and with William on the right hand side, but it's definitely an option um, to sort of consider, but I think potentially as well, you know, that Morata just, just has to improve. And I think that's going to be the case. I think the, the goal will do him a world of good in terms of his confidence, but I still feel a little bit like Clayton that he was a little bit of a ghost at times and, you, know, you want you want someone to be a reference point in, in this kind of system. And I think that the telling thing for me was the, the cutback that Hazard made for Alonso's goal, that run that was made for Alonso to score, the, that should have been Morata. I mean, that's a, a classic centre-forward run across a man, front post, flip the ball in, in, in kind of the near corner. You know, the fact that Marcos Alonso, the left-back, is making that run and, 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 and applying that finish rather than your centre-forward, that's that's the little things that, that worry yeah, me about Morata, he, he that he's not he getting in those the positions that... He wasn't on the. He was wasn't he not? No, I can't remember. No, he, he, no, Murata was he, off by then. Ah, uh, okay, sorry. He he wasn't. Can I? No, he wasn't. And you're quite right. Um, but it's interesting that he actually nipped in front of our centre forward. Yeah. At the time, you know. So <laughs> true. It, that, that's that, very true. That 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 was. It, show, it shows you how much vodka I had at that you, time. But look, I thought it was the no, right no, if, if you look, if you look at the goal. If you if you look at the goal, Marcus Alonso has basically cut in front of yeah. the room. You know, I, I, that... I 100% thought that was Morata. I must have been a lot more drunk than what I thought it was. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, Giroud, Giroud's oh, rubbish and Giroud shouldn't play, basically. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> Can I ask a question? Can well, I ask a question? Very quickly. Very quickly. Is this the end? the end for Fabregas? Yes. Ooh, you're asking. You're not asking his biggest <laughs> fans. What I'm going to say. <laughs> maybe, maybe, hopefully, I don't know. I can't I see so. it, mate. I mean, is I, me I, too. Yeah, I, I, I really yeah. do. He, you know, he he's been great for us. He's done really well, but ultimately, he slows down play. And if you're yeah. playing, if you're playing how Sarri wants us to play, you don't want anybody slowing down anything. So, um, yeah, exactly. I, I think we we've seen the last of it which is a shame because he's been great for us but you know it comes to everybody in the end it'll come to even me one day uh but anyway listen just to sum up this part before we go to a break you know we, we've kind of been you know looking for things to criticize and and i think we've all been quite good to say let's not get too carried away and there is a long way to go but i've got to be honest there's a there's a palpable to use clayton's favorite word sense of excitement about this the options that we have uh, the style of football that we might see. So it, I think it's going to be one hell of a roller coaster ride this this season, and uh, not for the faint-hearted, as indeed this show is not for the faint-hearted. And uh, coming up, uh, slight uh, order, running order change here, uh, because they're all so fantastic, and uh, because uh, there aren't usually so many of them. In a vain attempt to try and fit them all in, I've decided to move the emails up to uh, 
to part three rather than do them in part four. So uh, after the break, Jonathan's going to be reading out uh, about the uh, the captaincy role, the low down on Kovacic from a Croatian, uh, how a young Indian uh, from Mumbai found Chelsea, and what are the roots of the match-going falls versus the armchair Warriors Twitter wars between Chelsea fans. See you in a minute. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. (laughs) It's all too much. (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the uh, Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stanford Chidge, of course, and in the house tonight, we've got the wonderful uh, Joe Tweedy the uh, lovely Clayton Beerman and, of course, the uh, irrepressible uh, Mr Jonathan Kidd, who um, has taken a flyer by deciding not to go for his half-time break, his comfort break at half-time, and uh, has decided to uh, see if he can do this next part without the need for disappearing. Uh, because, of course, as I was saying earlier... Chidge, get on with it. Get on emails in this part. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to eke it out as long as I can just to make you wet yourself. Uh, but no anyway, eek, just a quick no shout-out and reminder... No eking, just a quick reminder that uh, that we've got a website called ChelseaFanCast.com with lots of really great writing on there. So, uh, and, and after that, I think I've eked it out as long as I dare. Jonathan emails. Nick Barkley, I wanted to ask, based on your discussion of Hazard as captain, if you think taking the armband away from Cahill and seemingly passing over as Pilaqueta could potentially upset the dressing room. Both Cahill and Aspi are respected by their teammates, both have worn the armband at crucial moments for the club. 
I understand with a new manager things change, but I think for me at least, as Pilaqueta makes the best choice to wear the armband. Thanks, love the pod. Keep the blue flag flying high, Nick. Good question, Nick. Uh, is it terribly important, captaincy team? What do we think about the captaincy? Um, Hazard made a very good job of it in uh, in the World Cup. I have to say, it gave him a kind of air of um, uh, of uh, um, uh, what's the word? Not dominance. Kind of uh, it, 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 he Authority. looked responsibility. Oh, that's the word I'm groping for. Yes, yes, he did, he, which I, I thought worked very well for him. But um, uh, is it important? Same as importance. Clearly, Cahill isn't going to play um, unless he plays once again in Europa League. Um, and uh, so Aspi looks the, the likely the likely man, but he hasn't made a decision yet, has he, Sarri? According to um, according to, to press conferences, he hasn't uh, decided. Do, what, what what do we think? Because the the point that Nick's saying well, is that I mean, um, Jonathan, um, it, I mean, it might I, upset I, the I, dressing room. I think room. it's. It's an interest. Well, I don't know about that. I really don't. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, one one great thing about Gary Cahill, he's he's a consummate professional and a very likable and nice chap. So, I don't see him, you know, getting upset or sulking or whatever like others Making might a do. Fuss. I've advocated. I've advocated this summer that we should make Hazard captain, not least to bribe him to stay for a while. But also because I thought he did do a very good job for Belgium, and I think it kind of made him a bit more responsible, and he, he a bit more kind of his his attitude seemed to be spot on during the World Cup, you know. And he he's the best player, and he and he carried that team, and you know I think it was good to see him do that. The only other thing I would say is that uh, in my experience, Italian managers aren't that bothered who captains the side. They tend to quite often, particularly in internationals, they'll they'll they'll, they'll choose the most capped player or the most experienced player to be the captain. So I think they attribute a very different set of parameters to it than we do in England, where the captain is, you know... I mean, I know we had JT as the captain who kind of broke the mould in a sense, but I think we've always had that idea of the captain assuming a much greater importance than perhaps other people attribute it to it. But uh, for me, it would be Hazard. Although I love I love Asp- Aspilicueta would be absolutely fine. I think he's respected in the dressing room. The supporters love him. He always gives 100%. What more do you want? So... I, I don't. I don't think it matters as much because there's not a, a definitive standout, you know, captain in waiting. So Aspilicueta or or Hazard would be fine for me. Uh, boys, who, who wants to stab at this one? I, I. I mean, I. I think it's a, it's all about the dressing room dynamic, but uh, I. I think that Asby would be great, and I think we all said last year that we all thought he should be the captain rather than Gary Cahill. Nothing against Gary Cahill, but Gary Cahill seems to be quite quiet on the pitch. Um, Am I not right in thinking that they have two captains? They have a team captain and a club captain. So, um, Mm. so I, I think the thing is that Asby is a consummate professional and Asby would probably love to be captain. But if he thought that keeping Hazard in the side or keeping Hazard at the club would be enhanced by him being captain, he'd be delighted to step down. I think Hazard, 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 I I know I I listened to what Alex was saying and I I don't necessarily agree with um, that thing about him being a bit of a joker and, and not really caring. Uh, and having too much to concentrate on, I think he'd probably love it. Um, you know, captains mm. his country now, so why can't he captain his club? Can I just Joe, make a, a point and throw something? A bit, oh, no, Joe. Sorry, Joe. You have a go, Joe. No, no, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, I, 
No, I mean, I think my my perception of Hazard as a captain changed quite a bit of the World Cup, and I don't necessarily agree that he's kind of too light-hearted to to be a captain. I think you could actually see personally. I felt actually the 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 kind of captaincy lifted his performance for for Belgium. And yeah, yeah, he was very unlucky not to walk away with the with the best player award. I, I felt actually having that responsibility, having the armband, actually made him a little bit more serious on the pitch. He was being a little bit more decisive. Mm-hmm. I mean, his his goals and assists and and, and was 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 pretty high in terms of the, in terms of the tournament and you know I mean I look at Aspilicueta and I think he's an incredibly great servant to the club but I would say last season that he was the standing captain for a lot of games where we did underperform and I think people always do give him a pass because he's a very very high effort player but as a captain is he that inspirational figure and I know it's a slightly controversial point but you know we finished fifth last season he was captain for the majority of it and I don't necessarily see him in the same mould if you're going to lead by kind of example and, and, and try and be a bit more of a vocal captain, then I'm not sure Aspilicueta is is the guy in, in maybe the same sense, even as, as Cahill was a lot more kind of sort of uh, at least kind of tangible and a bit more vocal when he when he when he had the armband. So I think Aspilicueta he auditioned for me last season and I don't necessarily feel that he he stepped up or was was as inspirational as you would want as a captain. So for me I would definitely give it to Hazard. I think he's he's kind of maybe almost the not not the default option that I think Aspilicueta would also be a It'd be a good choice, but I just think that particularly on the back of the World Cup, and I think again, if you're looking at Hazard as being kind of the inspirational figure at, at Chelsea, then maybe that's the thing that, that kind of gets that that performance level um, to be to be even more consistent than what it has been over the past few years. So I, I think Hazard is, is the ideal choice, and I think to be honest, if, if it was going to be Aspilicueta or Cahill or someone else, I think Sorry would have given it to them by now. So I think Hazard's probably definitely in the running because I think he just wants to wait until he's fit and, and back in the side personally. Um, can just I just on Mixler, throw Jonathan? A, a just before you do, before you do, Jonathan. Quickly. Sorry, I'm just, oh yeah. I'm just, just, just talking. I'm talking to you actually on this because what you won't have seen is the feedback that's coming in from Mixler, mate. Well, there's been a few mentions for for David Luiz and uh, one for Jorginho as well. So, unlike last year, we seem to have more more potential captains. What do you think of that? Well, uh, uh, the amount of influence that Jorginho has, yes, I can quite understand him being the the central figure. Uh, and I wanted to just make a point that um, I wonder if uh, um, Quetta will keep his place um, just because uh, I don't think he quite contributes the attacking, uh, the necessary attacking re- requirements. Fantastic in defence, um, but uh, can't centre unless he, he, he makes him into a better a better uh, um, crosser of the ball. And I wonder whether it means that Moses then has a go at fullback because the one thing that he did did do is he seemed to have lost all his atta- uh, attacking ability as a fullback, but, uh, as a, uh, he lost, sorry, he lost all his w- uh, abilities as a winger, but his defensive qualities improved enormously under Conte. Um, whether he gives him a go, uh, because um, that's just something that I see as being a, a frailty in this setup. I mean, once again, hugely early days, but I'm just putting that out there as to, I noticed that even Zappacosta seemed to be more in tune with what was required. And I'm not convinced at the moment that Dave is quite on the ball for this, but I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I love him, love him to pieces and I really hope he gets it together. Um, but that's just something I'm just putting into the mix there. Um, but yeah, no, I would have, 
I would have Hazard captain because also I think it would then give him more responsibility and he might then the, the uh, and he would then might take his eye off the whole idea of leaving for Real Madrid completely if he has a fantastic season and and, and raises a trophy or two that would be phenomenal for him. All right, do you want to do the next one? I think it's a good idea. This is from Mark Graver. Chelsea Dick Emery. If this joke's already been done, then no need to read this out. Welcome back, by the way, Mark. I don't think it has been done, Mark, and that's why we read it out. <laughs> yeah, I would have titled the show it's that. It's one for I'd the teenagers. It. Yeah, it yeah it's, yes, it's one, one for the very, 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 very young. Not. Um, good. And the next one is from Tommy Milos. Dear Chidge and Co. This is a I must monster say, one. I'm in utter ecstasy as I. Yeah, it is. I'm girding my loins here. Deep breath. I must say I'm in utter ecstasy as I write this, and it's more due to Marco Alonso's left foot than the third beer I'm cracking open as I sit down to write this. I know we let Arsenal back into the game cheaply, and we could have easily lost had they taken their chances in the first half, but what a relief it is not to be playing within ourselves any longer. Some of Conte's reign was enjoyable, but the negativity it introduced in its latter stages made watching the Chelsea a miserable affair at times. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, not the least during our torrid trip to the Etihad last spring, which, of course, was an unbelievable low. Now that Sarri has been thrust into the fold, our attitude has done a complete 180, and we are playing on the front foot once again. I was ready to pronounce our summer transfer window a failure earlier on, with the changing of the guard delayed, as it were, but I must say the Marina and her team really pulled off a blinder. I have to place the emphasis on pulled off, as it really didn't look good for much of the summer, with most of the sparse information available being recycled time and time again by Alfredo Pedula. The board couldn't have left their business much later, but all in all, I think it will hold up as a brilliant one in hindsight. Yeah, I agree. Retaining Hazard was a massive show of defiance and was definitely the most important item on the agenda. I don't think his heart was ever fully in a move to Madrid, especially given Zizou's departure. And you can see how much he appreciated the supporters' adulation in his applause following the match. Relinquishing Courtois couldn't have left me any happier with his toxicity and general shit. Towsery finally eradicated from our dressing room. I think he'll cut a lonely figure in Madrid as his former Atletico mates probably won't want anything to do with him and the chances of Eden being enticed to join him are low now that we're playing the kind of football he can get behind. I couldn't be more pleased we went with quality over quantity in our acquisitions as that wasn't the case last summer. What a player Jorginho looks to be, constantly directing others and pulling the strings. His comfort in Sarri's system was evident in how many times he was able to calmly play us out of Arsenal's press from his vantage point as the anchor in midfield. His confidence and awareness in playing one-touch passes out wide and over the top me on multiple occasions. While Jorginho's transfer has me excited, it's Matteo Kovacic's acquisition, albeit supposedly on a one-year loan, that has me absolutely elated and salivating at what's to come. Yeah, me too. I'm Croatian and have been following Matteo's career closely since his early days at Dynamo Zagreb, and I couldn't be any happier than he is finally at a club, let alone my club, where he can truly shine. He's shown incredible promise for ages now, with most regarding him as Inter's best prospect when he was at the club with Coutinho. But he's been stymied by his admittedly boneheaded move to Madrid, 
which left him behind generational talents in the pecking order. Many Croatians view him as Modric's spiritual successor, but I personally think he can be even better. His athleticism and strength in the tackle far outstrip that of Modric and leave him better suited to the current English game, while just as disposed to boss the best European sides with his composure and vision should we get back to the Champions League. We will, we will. I think that Kovacic's brief cameo showed why he should start over Barkley, despite Ross's pretty faultless display and ass, Alex Churchill might add. His arrival on the left side of the midfield three opened up massive amounts of space for Hazard, as Arsenal had to respect Kovacic's ability to move to burst forward in possession, and I think that will be our biggest asset this season. As someone who's watched Kovacic for some time, I'll venture to say that his dribbling ability is only outstripped by Hazard in our current side, and that will keep defenders honest. While he's had few goals to his name thus far in his career, I think the cutbacks that will manifest themselves, given Sarri's system, will yield a glut of goals for both him and the rest of the midfield. I'm inclined to be optimistic about our chances at retaining Kovacic, as he gave me reason to be, as he gave me reason to be in his post-match interview with a Croatian journalist. He essentially said, it's nice to be somewhere where he's wanted by both the club itself and the manager, and went on to effusively praise the quality of the rest of the side, which leads me to believe he has designs to extend his stay at the bridge. Given this belief, I think that Loftus-Cheek will struggle to break into the side as much as I want him to. Ruben will have to do so on the basis of merit rather than hype, and that will make it all the more satisfying for him and ultimately the supporters agree completely. While I've been positive so far, I have to say I can't wait until Hazard is fully fit and can relieve William of his duties. I don't know when William suddenly (laughs) obtained the belief that he was Neymar and incorporated the appropriate arrogance into his game. But he's changed. He used to be be selfless and tirelessly work off the ball, but he's he's become selfish and dallies on the ball far too long in possession. He pressed decently well when called upon, but I find that Pedro is more lethal in the 18-yard box and makes much more intelligent runs off the ball as a byproduct of his time at Barca during their glory days. But yes, I agree completely with Clayton. I just think he, he tends to run out of gas, doesn't he, poor old Pedro? I respect William's service to the club, especially in the 2015 season where so few turned up. But at 30 and displaying little more maturity and professionalism in emoji gate than my pubescent little brother, his best days are behind him. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> he doesn't possess anywhere near the same football IQ that Pedro undoubtedly does. I know Willie's a popular figure amongst the squad, but he just doesn't release the ball quick enough for my liking. Oh, blimey. I'm disappointed we didn't get rid of him in favour of a younger talent like Martial or Bailey. But perhaps we're just biding our time until hudson Adoy has matured enough to become a veritable option. I don't think William played badly per se, aside from giving the ball away for Arsenal's first goal, but simply that Hazard's introduction and Pedro's better performance simply highlighted the obvious deficiencies 
in his game. Conversely, Morata showed flashes of the brilliance we glimpsed last season. He held up the ball all right when it was played into him by the centre-backs, and he did well to stay on his feet when he would have gone to ground in a heap last season. His brilliant run in behind and subsequent tidy finish has me thinking that we'll see a fired-up Morata desperate to prove himself this season. We can but hope. Anyway, I'm aiming to pop over to London from Canada in January to visit my girlfriend while she's completing her master's degree at King's College and conveniently catch us at home to Newcastle. Newcastle, sorry, Newcastle. I'm also hoping to miraculously, I'm also hoping to miraculously score tickets to our match at the Emirates the following week, despite my dismal lack of loyalty points. Perhaps the fan car contingent might be able to help me out in that respect when the time comes. Mm, might be. Cheers to a season of attacking football and sharing a pint or three with you lot at the cock this January. Yeah, we look forward to meeting you, Tommy. Uh, I'll be there. Sorry for waffling on for so long. No, no, no waffle. P.S. I think I spotted you, Jonathan, walking back into the posh stand at half time on my stream. I've attached the screenshot in my email for your confirmation. Who is that handsome man? Oh, no, that's not me. No, next to him. Oh, no, that's me. It is me. Yes, in fact, I was on BT Sport. I don't know why they chose. They went to the dugout, and then they went a shot above, and I'm above the dugout. And there I am, I think coming they thought out that you, from I think they thought, Aussies. I think they thought you were Sari, mate. There is a similarity, of course. And I am... Smoking, aren't I? Look, there's smoke coming out of my lungs. That insult yeah, made you go all kind of wobbly of on the. And I shall, yeah. uh... <laughs> Did it? No, it wasn't intentional. Um, but yeah, no, I've made. I've got yeah. a copy of that now. Thank you very much indeed, Tommy. Brilliant, brilliant email. Love it. Love it. I don't share your uh, um, uh, annoyance with William. But I do know You've gone all Norman Collier, mate. Bash your iPad, love. You can disappear a bit. Um, bash it. With what? I don't know. Just give it some juice. Give it some Wi-Fi Hello? signal. Because you're, you're, you're going all Norman Collier. That's better. Bash, bash Hello? it. Bash it with your Hello? butler. That's better. Hello. My butler. My, uh, That's better. Yes, my... Um, what do they call them? Not my butler. My... Um, yeah, yeah, no, my... Uh, my Prince Albert. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is, uh... <laughs> oh, dear. Remind Jonathan, me Jonathan, Jonathan, that was, basically, that was basically a fantastic email. Uh, I, the comments on Mixler were very effusive about that. His insight into Kovacic was just superb, wasn't it? Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Very mile. good. L lovely. Absolutely. But we agree with it, though, don't we? We just... Uh... He clearly is a star. A bit player. unfair on William. It's lovely I to thought, hear but, that. Um, uh, I see his you know, point. He's, he, he, I very unfair on William. Very unfair. I know what he means. William can go missing, and uh, um, mm. and yes, he didn't go for that ball when the ball was played to him. And he stood the second that he lost the ball, he just stood about. Actually, look at the goal that was scored. Um, but he tends to do that. I just think that he should work brilliantly in this setup because he's so talented. He's got such skill. Um, but, yeah, there's an element of application. But, you know, if, if I think if Sarri can't get them to play, he won't pick them. They've got so, such a deep squad. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I don't feel I'm not that 
that um, um, I don't hate him as much clearly as uh, now. What am I talking about? I'm a big fan of William, and I, I just wish it all works for him because I think this could be uh, could be another great season for him. Um, but let's see. Shall I keep going, Chidge, or do you want to comment on the on the email? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, keep going. Keep keep going. Vinay Dareshwar. Dear Chidge, JK and the gang, I'm a listener from Mumbai, India. Didn't have to say that. We all know where Mumbai is, Vinay. Fantastic to hear from you. Love it when we get to mails from all around the world. Brilliant. Um, I've been listening to the pod since the start of last season. Firstly, I want to thank you guys for podding every single week throughout the season. I love the show. Thank you. Especially the part where I get to interact with all the fantastic people in Mixler. Live, he says here. Live, except he spelt it L-I-V-E-E-E-E, which I think makes means I have to go livy <laughs> rather than live. But anyway, live, as well as on Twitter. Before I give my view on this season, I'd like to share a brief backstory as to how I became a Chelsea fan. It was the year 2006 when the FIFA World Cup held in Germany was being broadcasted on TV. My dad asked me if I'd like to watch a game one night. At the time, I was just 12 years old and it was a new experience for me. When it came down to picking a team, I chose Germany because it was the host nation. And so it began my love for football right from the the teams walking onto the pitch and singing their national anthems, followed by the exciting moment of kickoff. The crowds cheered and I could feel the emotion through the TV and I was engulfed by the entire setting. I followed most games that World Cup and what attracted me the most were the leaders on that pitch. I took a specific liking to Balak, Lampard and Terry. Destiny, maybe. And after the World Cup was done, I wanted to watch more football and since the Premier League wasn't broadcast to the extent it is now i would watch the occasional games luckily in my neighborhood most of my friends fell in love with football as well and we would play every day one weekend we weren't able to play so i was at home watching tv i was going through the channels came across a football game which got me all excited guess who i spotted balak and lampard and terry i was intrigued that i saw these players i followed in the world cup playing in a blue jersey so I asked my friends about it, and one of my friends said it was a team called Chelsea. I got hooked and followed the game sincerely. Fast forward to 2007, I began calling myself a Chelsea fan. Over the years, my friends and I would watch the big games together, which slowly turned out to be every game, every weekend at my place. Whether it was the Champions League game at 12.30am slash 1.30am on a weekday, or the weekend game around 8.30pm, we would watch each and every game and went through the emotions, which did include shouting even in the middle of the night. <laughs> and that's how it all began. Last year, I had to move to a new home, but I still managed to watch the big games with my friends. It's been my dream since 2007 to come and watch a game live at the bridge and cheer the team on. Sorry, Livy! And definitely, when I do make it, I will buy you all a few beers. Now coming to my views yes. on this season, it's definitely one of, one of rebuilding. We need to be patient and watch the beauty unfold. Well expressed. Surrey will definitely get us playing proper football. The win against Arsenal on Saturday was emphatic, even though there's still a lot of work to be done. I'm positive the players are up for it and enjoy this style of football. I now end this really long email. Ooh, and thank you for your patience. Keep the blue flag flying high up the Chelsea. Regards, Vinay Dareshwar, a.k.a. Vinda Blue on Mixler. Marvellous. Great stuff. Fantastic mail from India. I love it so much. 
off. And Vin Vinay's in Mixler. Great, fantastic. Oh, well, good on yeah, you, mate. It is, isn't well it? Well done, Vinny. Lovely email. Really nice. Yeah, yeah, superb. Uh, and uh, the last one, right in here, please. Uh, email five, Brian James. Good evening, Chelsea Fancast gang. My name is Bri uh, Brian James. I'm a 24-year-old Los Angeles native who's been in love with the blues for 10 years. I actually have two questions I'd like to ask and discuss, if you wouldn't mind. My first question pertains to a new venture I'm exploring. After so many years of living in what seems like the only nation not to give a rat's ass or ass, as you would say, about the beautiful game, I finally realized I've been missing an outlet of real conversation about the club I love. I have a Twitter, but it seems as though the conversation there is dying, which is hard to really say what I want in full. It's hard really to say what I want in full context. Whilst trying to speak to anyone in the States is like pulling teeth. If I get one more question about who is this Horgino guy, I'm going to bash my head into a wall. This is why I've decided to try my hand at a blog website dedicated solely to all things Chelsea, in which I've decided to name bluebeyondthepond.com. It's a good name. Shameless plug, I know, but as the kids say, sorry, not sorry. I'm not doing this for followers <laughs> or online presence, solely because I'm starved for actual conversation involving Chelsea, as I believe should be the only reason for creating online content as such. My question is this, because there are so many regulars on the show who are also writers, what advice would you give to someone who has never had any real experience writing in blog or article form before? I must admit, I'm going into this more blind than Tom of, of Ribo, fucking disgrace. And I could really use any and all advice you've learned over your experiences. I plan to write match previews, reviews, and everything in between pertaining to Chelsea. And yes, I'm even venturing into the dreaded video blog content. I would really appreciate your help with this. Thank you so much in advance. My second question pertains to this sort of social civil war between Chelsea fans. I've noticed lately there's been a ton of infighting and animosity by what seems like two sets of fans of Chelsea. One group is dubbed the match-going fools, while the other the... Twitter keyboard warriors. My question is, what is the source of this animosity and why does it feel like the club has two different fan groups? If we all have the same desires of wanting Chelsea to do well, why is there always so much infighting between the two? Is it the overreactionary hot takes from the Twitter side, the you've never been to the bridge so I won't listen to you argument from not all but quite a few matchgoers? Why can't these two groups coexist? Personally, I've never been to Stamford Bridge because I've never been able to afford it, although I think this might finally be the year, due to paying for university and other expenses. So I guess, in theory, I'd fall under the Twitter armchair manager category, which a lot of fans already invalidate before I can even put a word out. And I know the Twitter side tries to tear down some of the match-going older generation by labelling them old fools who can't keep up with the modern game. Why do we feel the need to create a divide between supporters? So what, if the, so what if the younger generation enjoys playing FIFA? And what is actually so bad about liking Marcus Alonso and William? It honestly feels embarrassing when I look and see two sets of fans of the same club going at it on social media because they look down on each other for supporting Chelsea in a different way from one another. Are there steps we can take to try and alleviate this ongoing tension? Or is this a generational gap that will always be there. 
especially now because of social media. Are we the only club with this sort of problem, or is this a common occurrence with every club now? I'd love to hear all your thoughts. Thanks for taking the time to read, and I can't wait to listen to Mixler on Monday. Up the Chelsea, Brian James. Well, Jonathan, uh, Brian, Brian's actually in Mixler as we speak, and he's very appreciative that we've read it out. Um, can I, I was going to suggest let's just take this in two parts. And I, I mean, the thing is, uh, Brian, you've got uh, with with due deference to to me and Clayton, who do a fair bit of writing ourselves, but we have the king. We've got the king of Chelsea bloggers in our midst. Not least because he writes longer blogs than anybody I know, for which I love him. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Tweedy, have you got any advice for this fine young man? Um, I mean, I think the the thing that, that I subscribe to is just write about stuff that you enjoy. Um, I mean, I, I write, I tend to write pieces slightly longer, but I have kind of a bit more freedom that I don't have an editor or I don't have some sort of narrative or direction that I have to kind of write to from, from match to match. So it gives me a bit of freedom to do some research and watch some games and, and read stuff and, and then kind of produce my own stuff. So I would say, yeah, but my, my number one would, thing would be that, that I kind of picked up that he was trying to sort of go with sort of this big bang approach. I, I would maybe find stuff that you're really, really passionate about. I, I'm a, a bit of a football tactics nerd. So that, that tends to be kind of where I, I sort of see myself in terms of my niche, but yeah, find, find the area that you enjoy, if it's match reviews, if it's player analysis, if it's writing about experiences of being a fan abroad, but just find something you enjoy and, and kind of take it from there. I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say go for the big bang approach and try and do everything at once. I think you kind of dilute how, how well you can you can write and how necessarily, how, how much creativity you can spread around. So find something you enjoy and, and stick with that. And I think it's it's done me okay so far. Clayton, uh, you're a prolific writer. I, you could be more prolific in my book on the fan cast, but hey, I still love you. Got any advice? <laughs> yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, it's it's quite interesting because um, you are lucky because it, our, our styles of writing are, are, are quite different. I mean, Joe's phenomenal um, and Joe does lots of research and writes a lot about tactics. Uh, whereas somebody like myself, I tend to sort of write from the heart um, in terms of I just write what I see. I don't really I, I can't say that I ever set out to write anything specific. I write what I see, what I feel at the time. And I think that if you are going to, to blog, then I think you need to decide what sort of blogger you are, because I think they're two different um completely two different ways of doing it um so i don't think you can do well you could do both uh, but i think that you basically have to work out what you want to be so if you're going to do things like match previews or match reports and you're looking at, at one style if you want to do an opinion piece which is what i do more um then you just sit down and and let let it go just just put down in print what you think and and, and good luck to you. Um, and don't anybody, don't let anybody tell you that what you're doing is wrong, because it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know, it's what you think and what you feel, um, and just enjoy it. It's like Joe said, just just do something you want to do, um, and there'll there'll be an audience for you. Uh, Jonathan, you 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 never write anything, but of course you are an avid consumer of what everybody writes. So you you will probably have an interesting take on this. 
Well, I used to. I used to do a video blog. In fact, I was one of the first video bloggers. Um, uh, to my bemusement, if you go to my website, you'll find uh, stuff from uh, eight to, to six to eight years ago that I was writing about Chelsea. And um, your mistake was to not have big eyebrows. That's why it never took off, mate. That's just saying. Well, no, I think part of it was also I need to stand very close to the camera, don't I? And, uh, 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 and yeah. shout. And shout a lot. Isn't that the way to do it as well? Shout a lot yeah. and be yeah. incensed by everything. Whereas uh, I tend to enjoy stuff. I think we've rather beautifully segued into the next bit, haven't we? About the uh, we um, the we keyboard warriors and the match goers. I, th I think that one of the problems is is that the 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 old fogies um, uh, have seen it all and have seen the seen the club not be very good. You know, we were there when they were shit, and uh, and we tend to be more forgiving, and we tend to look at players. Uh, um, contributions to the club over several seasons rather than an instant reaction. And I think that appears to be the major battle of um, the so-called keyboard warriors. The youths come in and say, that player is shit, he shouldn't be playing, um, rather than thinking thinking through it. And I have to say, I think it, it, it's, a, it's as much a, a criticism as, as ours is. It's a view, isn't it? It just is, it, it, it tends to belittle players who we've put a lot of faith in and seen perform wonderfully. I found the vilification of Gary Cahill absolutely ridiculously upsetting, actually, for him, particularly since it was done personally to his uh, Twitter account, when, um, you know, as we keep saying, he's won it all for the club and has been a fantastic servant. And yes, he has got a bit slower, and I think we won't be seeing him play very much this season. But to have him torn apart by people is just... Uh, it's something that whether it's something to do with the the age, I I personally can't I can't deal with it. I won't be horrible to somebody unless they're Kalu. If they're if they're if they're Solomon Kalu, I'm quite happy to have a go at them because he he get he gave me well, a lot of unfair. pain over the years. But that was then no, it was always unfair. I know. But I then you know no when I stopped I hating Solomon him Kalu. when I realised of course that he he did win the Champions League with us, so I have to love him. Um, but no, I think that's I that's. That's my view of this. My is that, um, mm, and I personally right. don't get. I don't get involved in it, any of any of it. And the uh, I don't. I don't go on. And it's uh, they're fed. It's a lot of people. Uh, the other thing to remember: a lot of people are looking to create mayhem so they get followers. And that's the other thing behind it. Yeah. And that's therein lies the rub, old bean. I think it's really, really complex, actually. And like you, I don't, I don't get involved because, of course, I have the opportunity to coat people off personally on at least uh, four and a half hours of media every week, which is great. That's the joy of doing this. But I have to say, I, I, I don't think it's as black and white as, as we like to think. I don't think it's as simple as saying it's, it's match-going supporters against you know those who are less fortunate to go who sit in an arm fair. I don't think it's as simple as supporters versus fans. I don't think it's as simple as saying it's the young versus the old. I don't think it's as simple as, as uh, you know, the new fans versus the older fans. I, I, I think, actually, you, what you'll find, it's just idiots versus people who are not perhaps as much idiots. Because the reality is, as, as you know, Joe, myself, Jonathan Clayton, we're all lucky to go every week to Stamford Bridge. And you, you can hear just as much stupid behaviour and daft coating off of players and daft behaviour inside the stadium as you ever will outside. So, you know, it's not full of people who blithely support everything that they see. Personally, I, I, I you know, I think the other thing is, 
you know, the, the people who go to matches ha- have literally invested a lot in it. it. It's a big, it's a, it's quite a commitment going every other week. Some people go every week because they go away as well. And I'm not just talking about money. Um, you know, it's, it's a hell of a commitment in time, you know. And I think that that actually lends itself to supporting the players and the club perhaps a little bit more than if you're removed from that and isolated from that, which, of course, if you're watching it at home, you know, on your own on a TV, you are a bit more disconnected. I also think that that, that Jonathan's right. There is a temptation with, with social media because it's so instant to be far more reactive, far more vituperative, if that is indeed a word. I mean, you know, when I'm in a stadium, I have been known to... I mean, I remember once I stood up when Matic was being utterly useless and, and just shouted at him, for fuck's sake, you long, lanky streak of piss, which is not exactly supportive. <laughs> but that was the emotion. I remember that. The emotion that gets to you. Joe remembers that, exactly, because Joe, of course, sits a few uh, <laughs> seats down, the, down the, uh, the row from me. But, you know, it's an emotional and passionate game. And, you know, we do scream and shout at players sometimes in the stadium. It's, it's, it's almost part of what it's about. But I think on social media, you get the same thing. But of course, you know, rather than apart from people like Joe remembering that I did that, it's instantly, you know, that's instantly forgotten, whereas it's remembered on Twitter. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, in a sense, social media is just an extension of what we all do in the pub. The difference being, of course, is you can see people and you're with them and you're having a few beers. And, you know... I've always thought this because I think Twitter particularly and Facebook can be a very, 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 very rude place. Dean Mears has just put on Mixler. Matic never forgot either. This is true, Dean. This is, in fact, why he left Chelsea because he heard me because I have a loud voice. But I think the the thing is, is that, you know, in a a pub, uh, you know, you're not going to say the things you say on Twitter because the chances are somebody's going to smack you one. And, of course, that's the the difference with social media. You can get away with, with saying things to people that you wouldn't dare say to them if you were face-to-face with them because you would run the risk of getting walloped. Uh, and I think that's a shame. I agree with what Byron says, absolutely 100%. You know, ridiculous, isn't it? We're all Chelsea. You know, I, there are people that I know and love at Chelsea, for example, whose political views I could not disagree with more, but I'm more forgiving because they're Chelsea. They love the club like I do. They're great fun to have a beer with, etc., etc., etc. And and it that 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 ethos which you get actually when you meet people and you're out with them and you don't talk about anything else other than Chelsea is lost on Twitter. I think it's far more divisive, far more rude, and I think it's a shame. And I think Byron's right. We should all actually be as one and getting behind the team and actually being far more polite and kinder to each other. Anyway, that's my my thoughts on it. Uh, Joe, you're next. I think probably I'm in kind of a fairly unique position because obviously the the past maybe two seasons I've I've been living abroad and it's it's not really a thing for me to travel back home for for every game now so I've kind of moved from being a, a match going full quote unquote to being a a Twitter armchair warrior whatever it is that they're called so it's it's an interesting I think thing for me to see that that since I've been abroad that it, it takes it takes a lot more effort to try and maintain. A connection with with the team, and I, I think the, the good example that I use is that I think Ramirez, in terms of like ability, maybe not one of the greatest Chelsea players that you ever think of in terms of technique, but in terms of sheer will, desire, and effort, I think those things are, are, are what people who attend games they appreciate that in players. And I think that when I look at, at, at Ramirez, and even when I look at Kante, because I haven't necessarily seen Kante as much in person, 
I don't get that same sort of connection that I do with Kante that I do with Ramirez. And I think that's primarily because I used to watch games. I used to see the, the effort. I used to see the desire from Ramirez. Whereas Kante, it, it, it doesn't come, I don't think personally it comes across as much via a television screen, just the amount of work and the amount of graft and just the amount of sheer desire that he has on the pitch. And I think in that case, that particularly when you've got this dichotomy between, I think, I would say generally that, that people who attend matches like to see players leaving the pitch, you know, have, have put everything on there. They could have the worst game ever. If they put in a million percent, like you, you kind of forgive them. But I think when you're watching it through a, a television and, and you're kind of, your, your prism of consuming football is, is primarily via a, a screen that you don't necessarily get that, that same feeling with, with the players. And I think probably from, from my perspective, certainly over the past two years, it's, it is a, a different challenge to try and embrace the players in the same way that you do as, as if you go to matches. So I think for, for you know, me maybe being slightly more rational than some of the people who fly out with these ridiculous comments that you see, like it's, it's a process of, of, of trying to sort of find ways to, to connect with players that, that's, that's different to, to when you attend games. But the, 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 I suppose the difficult thing is you have this huge kind of, of spectrum of opinion now. And I think it's, it's not just really social media when it comes to football. I mean, you, you only have to delve into any kind of Brexit talk or anything to do with politics. You can see how far kind of the, the scope of opinions are in social media. And there seems to be less and less kind of ground for, for shades of grey and for any kind of neutral or middle ground opinion. You can't sort of, you know, respectfully not necessarily think that Alonso is a great player, but kind of respect him as a player and see that he's had a huge contribution to Chelsea. It's he's either the worst player that's ever played for Chelsea or like he's, you know, he's better than Ashley Cole. There seems to be this sort of huge chasm of, of opinions. So, I think yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a tricky situation. I mean I know people who who uh, who, who live live kind of abroad and in America and, and Australia and stuff like that. And you know I mean I, I really like American football, but I don't get up at three o'clock in the morning to watch them play. Like that's that's not the level of commitment that I have to the sport. Whereas I think in the states they would be getting up at two, three, four in the morning to watch games. So slightly different level of commitment as well. But I just think it, it comes down to to how you form a connection with the players. And I think when your only way of consuming football is through a, a television. And I'm speaking from experience in the past two years. It is much more difficult to get that kind of emotional connection to players that I think, like you know, you can even appreciate people like Jose Pasingua. You kind of see him sort of you know, like every week, and you can kind of appreciate that he was a bit, bit rubbish. But you know, he, he had some really good games in the new camp, and he was fantastic in the Champions League final. All, all this sort of kind of context that you you probably afford players because you've seen them in person. I think when you kind of remove that kind of personal aspect and it's just a television screen, that context goes to to the dogs. And I think that kind of explains why people like William and Gary Cahill and probably Alonso get such a, a, a kind of, you know, substantial amount of, of hate from people who don't actually watch games live because to them, they're just not particularly good players and that's all there is to them. It's not anything about Cahill, you know, winning a Champions League on one leg, William having some fantastic seasons, Alonso scoring to it. Well, I mean, none, none of that comes into play. It's just this person isn't very good. So... Yeah, it's it's tough, um, and it, I think it's just a, a new sensation. I think also just the last point as well is that I think a lot of younger people now, more and more, they they tend to support players over over clubs. So you'll see a lot of uh, people will just be fans of Eden Hazard, for example. You get a lot of people who, who they are fans of players, they're not necessarily fans of clubs in the same way, and it's this kind of sort of non-traditional way of how people consume football more on a kind of player by player basis, rather than you know. My dad was a Chelsea fan. My granddad was a Chelsea fan. My great granddad was a Chelsea fan. That sort of connection that you have, and so necessarily, I think when it comes to analysing players and looking at the club in a wider context, all they necessarily care about is, is how their how their you know star player or whoever is is particularly faring or how they're kind of doing. So, 
there is also that that slight slight change in, in how people have, have maybe come into football as well via FIFA, via other sort of mediums, not necessarily tra- traditional routes that I think maybe people who have been brought up on football in a more traditional sense, you just don't necessarily understand it because it's so foreign as well. Mm. I've got a question for Clayton, actually, as a, as a, you know, because I think the other thing that Byron was talking about, mate, was this, this, there really is a bit of a war going on between the match-going fools who who get attacked by a lot of the what we presume are armchair Twitter, you know, keyboard warriors, and that's I think something to do with society and social media to a degree. But of course, the the match going falls immediately retort to well, you don't know anything because you're not even there. Therefore, you know, I think in 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 a sense, the match going falls have a superiority complex, and the Twitter keyboard warriors have an inferiority complex. That's how I would put it. But it's a load of nonsense. Why are they bloody attacking each other, mate? Um, I, I, that that's exactly right. Is nonsense, and um, I, it's it's the whole thing is bloody ridiculous. To be perfectly honest, I think that from my perception, there's there's two things here. The first of which is that when we first started going to watch football, it was quite insular. It was affordable, and there was no social media. So we've grown up in a different time. I think now you've got two different types of people on social media. You've got people who can't afford to go or you've got people who can't go because they're in a different country. Now, the fact that they follow a sport or a team doesn't mean that their view is any less valid, but it has to be acknowledged that you do experience different things by being at a game you engage more with the team there there is a a completely bizarre and perverse feeling that i've had and i know i think i've had this conversation with you chich is that if you're not at a game and you're watching it on telly you don't feel you can influence it but if you are at the game yeah you do feel you can influence it which is complete bollocks because obviously you can't. You, 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 feel, you feel that you can yeah. if you're there. You feel like, oh, if I don't go, it, you know, I'm, I'm, there's something the team's not going to get because I'm not in the stadium. Now, the fact is that I know people that go to football and have been going to football for a long, long time who know absolutely dick. There's a guy who yeah. um, is in my row um of season ticket holders who i think i can't remember when we got our season tickets in the matthew harding whenever it opened what i think was that 97 or was it later than that or earlier than that i don't yeah, know a little bit but yeah around during, that time dur- during the 81 or 83 game unbeaten home run of jose Mourinho, this guy moaned every single game <laughs> that this wasn't any good. That it wasn't, wasn't me, by the good. way, people. I just need no. It wasn't yeah. me. No, no, no. It, it, it wasn't. I can vouch. It wasn't Chidge. It wasn't but even Tony. The point was it? is, no. But but the point is, it's about opinions. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. So yeah. no. Yeah. By all means, have a war if you want to have a war. If if your life is that dull and that lacking in anything substantial that you have to turn against your own fan i mean i just don't get involved in it i just don't i i i if somebody wants to say that my view is less valid than theirs then fine okay good all right good day don't bother me 
Yeah. You know, it's like Absolutely. I was saying about the 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 about people writing blogs. You're not right and you're not wrong. It's just your opinion. And some people might yeah. think that my opinion's rubbish. So be it. If they do, then fine. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I go to football because I support my team. I also go to football because I see my mates. So that's fine. You know, you look at the sort of the overseas supporter. I'm not saying that they're any less passionate than we are. I mean, I love no. baseball. I love, you know, and I support a team. Now, the fact is that I never, ever get to see them or haven't been for years. But it doesn't mean I don't care about them. It doesn't mean I don't get pissed off when they lose, what have you. Obviously, not on the same level as something that I can physically engage with. But I still like it and I still follow them. But I wouldn't ever begin to have any sort of Twitter argument with a, another baseball fan because I just don't have the knowledge. I mean, I, I, I know about the game. I, I love the game. I've been watching it for decades. But they're there. They know what's going on. Um, social media and the actual media itself, because we've got the internet, you now can read the papers as to what happens overseas, whereas you couldn't years ago. But I know that my opinion of a, you know, following a particular baseball team, I can't hold a candle to people that live there, that <clears> live <throat> and breathe it. But I can have an opinion, might be, might be, a, you know, a less educated one. But so everybody's got an opinion. Uh, I, I, I just mm. don't get involved in it. and I just don't really understand it. Yeah. Fair point, mate. And I think that the old the old adage that uh, opinions are, are like arseholes, everybody has one, and some people are, is a, a very uh, a, you know fitting thing to kind of end that on. Um, I just you know I, I think there's some really interesting feedback coming through on Mixler actually, and everybody's saying that you know you got you got loads and loads of Chelsea fans in there, all with wildly different opinions, but everybody's respectful, and I think. You know, I, I, whether people like it or not, I mean, and I've I've written an article in CFC UK about this. There is a hierarchy of support. You know, if you've been going, uh, as many people have for 40, 50 years, week in, week out, then you are a much better supporter than I am. You know, by definition, I don't have a problem with that. You know, in fact, I'm 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 enamoured of these people and give them the utmost respect for for what they've done. You know, my my pitiful effort pales into insignificance compared to them and i think that's the trouble there's an absolute abject lack of respect you know which is born out of a disagreement of a, and a different opinion we've all got opinions you know hey ho um byron that's a brilliant email i've been desperate to do that debate for ages which is why we've run on for as long as we have because i've really been wanting to do that for ages and it just so happened we've got some brilliant people to discuss that with you the one thing i would say byron about the blogs i wish you a huge amount of luck with that but i would say to you mate you know you could always write for the fan cast many do dean mears is in here he writes for it uh vin i think has written stuff for us and uh Hion is in there somewhere who edits it you're welcome to write for us anytime you like just get in touch with Hion. uh right now uh, i should also thank everybody for sending in their emails this week they were crackers this week and i and i like the idea of doing it in the third part because it means it's a bit of a less of a rush and we get to, to debate things and i think that that's very healthy and i appreciate that and uh as I said, we always try and read them out. Uh, please send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com before Monday. And uh, as I said, we'll try and read them out. Now, uh, I'm going to scoot through part four. There'll be no debate. It'll just be me plugging shit. So if you want to go home, I, won't, I will forgive you. Uh, okay, we'll see you in a sec. Real 
Arsenal fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. Uh, I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. It's the last part. We've had a monstrous, monstrous discussion. We've had a monstrous discussion about all sorts of things. I've just shut Jonathan up because he's making stupid noises in the background. But anyway, uh, this is uh, just going to be a very, very quick shout-out for a lot of the things that we get involved with and we support. Obviously, the first thing is is that we've got uh, the Love Sports show on Friday this week uh, between 7 o'clock and 9, uh, and it'll be Jonathan and Dan Silver joining Aaron Paul. I am away on uh, the next two Love Sports shows for various reasons, so all madness will ensue. He might even have a special guest, but the best thing, of course, as you know, is that you can phone in and join the debate with them live, uh, and the number to call is 0208 70 20 558. So please do it. Many did. Massive thanks to Dan and uh, Buncey and Teresa. Uh, and I suspect somebody else whose name I've forgotten. But we had a lot of calls last week and it was much more fun. So keep it up. We love that. Uh, it's easy to get hold of. 558 AM or digital radio. And you can listen to it on Radio Player and Tune In. And of course, lovesportradio.com. Uh, before that, uh, the second of the season, the second Kerry Dixon show will be up this season. Uh, so, so it's Thursday, even if I get my teeth in. Yeah, Thursday. It'll, it's usually out sometime in the afternoon on Thursday. So we'll be looking ahead to the uh, the Newcastle game, and obviously we'll be catching up with any anything left from the Arsenal game. Uh, massive, massive thank you to everybody who's contributed to the show on Patreon. Uh, we've had some new people coming in this week. Welcome on board. Uh, it's much, much, muchly appreciated, um, and uh, it does help to cover any costs that we have. Uh, and, of course, you can donate very easily, uh, whatever you want, pay whatever you want per show, a bit like the fanzine, and it's www.patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. And uh, please get in touch uh, on, on there as well, because I, I now have it on my phone, so if you if you put a comment on the, on there, I can, I can respond. And if you've got any ideas for the show, any suggestions, anything like T-shirts that we, we're thinking of, you know, revisiting the T-shirts, what have you, anything like that, get on there. And, I, and it's a nice way that we, we can chat very quickly and directly. And as I said, you are, you are the hardcore of the Chelsea Fancast support, and we appreciate that. Uh, right, Chelsea Supporters Trust, um, as always, uh, you know, join up, get your voice heard by the uh, club. It's free to join up to be a member, but if you want to have a badge and you want to vote and attend the meetings, it's five quid. Sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com. And talking of meetings, we had um, the AGM last Sunday at Stamford Bridge. So many thanks to the club for hosting it. And, uh, of course, to everybody who came along, especially the new and younger faces that we saw there, which is great. And uh, thanks for your excellent contributions. A podcast with a recording of the AGM will hopefully be up on the Chelsea Fancast platforms this week. And, uh, of course, the elections for the new board and the motions that we discussed, which provide the trust with a mandate, are all now open. Um, if you're a voting member and you need to be a voting member, you should have received an email with a link to vote. Uh, some, well, I think actually today they came out. But uh, voting is open until the 2nd of September, so make sure if you are a voting member that you vote for the uh, nine of the ten uh, people who are standing for election and, of course, all of the motions, all 17 motions that we uh, proposed at the AGM. Uh, CFC UK, uh, there's a deadline coming up to write one, I think, Clayton. I think it's uh, 
something like the 6th of September or 7th of September. But uh, the current one's available now, home and away, of course. You can get it at the stall opposite Fulham Broadway or from any of the sellers that are around the ground. Uh, or you can subscribe to it by going online at cfcuk.net. And if you're in the USA, follow at cfcukusa. Uh, and finally, of course, a little plug for the pitch owners. Sorry, to, sorry. can uh, I just interrupt? If you want interrupt, to a bit of Chelsea I, um... to protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the CPO who own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim, of course, is to ensure that Chelsea Football Club will remain playing at fo- football at Stamford Bridge so that hopefully there'll still be a ground there when Joe comes back. That's really the idea behind it. Uh, anyway, if you want to buy one, it's very easy. Just go to or email info at chelseapitchowners.com. And you can follow them at Pitch Owners and you can find out how to get a share application form much cheaper than it used to be, 25 quid a share these days. Right, goodness gracious me, that, I'm afraid, is all we have time for this week. Uh, It's gone by in a flash, although it's been a much longer show than than usual, but never mind. Uh, We will be back next Tuesday, not Monday, because it's a bank holiday next Monday. And Mrs Chidge forbids me from podcasting on a bank holiday Monday, quite right too. So we'll be back next Tuesday, uh, and I'll be joined by Jonathan and uh, Liam Toomey. And for two weeks running, Joe Tweeds. What's going on, Joe? Silence. Yeah, silence, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, two two weeks in a row. He's looking at his diary going, how the... He said, how the hell did I commit to doing two in a row? I must be insane. <laughs> mate, we'll be... T- I tell you, you and, Liam, li- you and Liam on the same show is going to be mental, mate. So I'm, look- I'm already looking forward to that. And, of course, we do get a nice long weekend to tune up for it. Uh, and, of course, don't forget, as I said, tune into the Love Sport Radio show on Friday, 7 till 9, and uh, listen to the Kerry Dixon show on the Thursday. And uh, follow us on Twitter, at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Cheers, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd. Clayton at Goalie59, Joe at Joe Tweedy, and of course, check out the website ChelseaFanCast.com. And of course, many thanks to the wonderful Leon or Keon Carbis and the Chelsea Fancast bloggers for their regular content going up on the week. Uh, they are brilliant, and I love them all. Right. Um, ah, one final thing. Uh, it's uh, a couple of birthdays, actually. Ken Barkway's birthday today, the lovely Ken, one of our writers at Ken Barkway. Happy birthday, Ken. I believe he's on holiday in the States at the moment. And uh, a birthday, a preemptive birthday shout out to the wonderful Steve Bunce, uh, my old mate who I saw in the cock on Saturday. It will be his 61st birthday uh, on Sunday and he's going to be at Newcastle. And he said it would be great to see anyone up there joining us for a beer or 15. If you want to get absolutely munted, I can think of no finer person than Steve Bunce to get utterly pissed with. So there you go. Happy birthday for Sunday, Steve. Right. Uh, Clayton, it's been fabulous having you on the show, having seen you the other week. Yeah, no, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Lovely. Absolute pleasure as always. And Joe, fantastic to catch up with you. Uh, I miss you greatly down the road from me, but it's uh, just about good enough to have you on the show and I can't wait till next Tuesday because it's always great to catch up with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure as always, Hitch. Lovely stuff. Well, I look forward to seeing you next week. And look at this. In the nick of time, he's reappeared from emptying his bowels. It is the wonderful superstar and now director of the new <laughs> Laurel and Hardy, Chidge and JK post-match video blogs. <laughs> I wasn't emptying my bowels, actually. I was just having a wee, but uh, um, sorry to be so graphic, but uh, I felt that the image mm. that you created of me there was not one I want to leave, leave the listeners with 
Um, no. Thank you. Yes, we must do another one, Chidge. How are we going to do another one for next week? How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? Well, the thing is, uh, we can't you because we're not at Newcastle. No, no, we can do it. You can take a shot of yourself talking about the game and send it to me, and then I'll edit it together. To me, to do... you, to me, right. to exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. Oh. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can, we'll find a way of doing it anyway. But yes, All right. well, uh, I might Joe, do something. Joe. Brilliant, brilliant. Lovely. All right, enough. It's time to go to bed or something like that. You guys have been brilliant. Uh, only only matched, perhaps surpassed by the wonderful people in Mixler who stuck with us for the whole two hours and ten minutes. Crikey, they got strong constitutions. Well done, you lot. Uh, as Dean Mears so succinctly put, see you next Tuesday. Yes, work it out. Uh, right, <laughs> thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chels. Up the chills! Up the chills! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.